0: Hi, this is Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Lackey from the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast.
1: And you are listening to Seven Land Hand.
0: Get it.
2: HPpodcraft.com
1: It's Seven Land Hand! woo <laughs> Brought to you Australia-wide
3: by Good Games. Vangelis Borealis, a beautiful visual effect that occurs when you bounce the Blade Runner soundtrack off the upper atmosphere. When you bounce Vangelis bagi off a magnetic pole, however, he invents Dice City. Does this sound like paradise, or would you prefer your multi-sided friends to be fully ambulant? Fear not, listener, we'll show no prejudice, we're an equal opportunity podcast, it's just how we roll. (laughs) This is Seven Land Hand. Dice City is cited as a dice-crafting worker placement game from Artipia Games and AEG. It was released in October 2015 and was designed by mathematical madman Vangelis Bagiotakis. It's a game for four to... (laughs) Four to one players, or one to four players. So now there's more than one thing you can do by yourself, listener. And it lasts for about 45 to 60 minutes. The game's elevator pitch reads as follows. The kingdom of Roldovia is in turmoil. Her Royal Highness, the Queen, has decreed that there will be a new capital after the old one was sacked by hordes of barbarians and bandits from the south. As leaders of one of the country's influential noble families, players vie with each other to establish their provincial city, as the best home for Roldovia's new capital. You must choose your city's path well in gaining the approval of all others in the kingdom. One disclaimer before we proceed. Vangelis Bagiataris is not a madman. However, he once created a game called Suvlaki Wars and is known for his vast collection of vintage baklava. But what does it all mean to gamers? Here to throw more squares across the table than a high school bully at lunchtime, it's Matt, he's going to tell me they're cubes, not squares, Mikhail. They're, um... Cubes, not squares. And Jamie, he'll tell us that they're actually polyhedrons, not cubes. Lawrence,
1: no, he'll tell you they're actually polyhedrals, Lawrence.
3: <laughs> All right. <laughs> there we go. I'm head, I've gone hedron crazy after uh, you know recent MTG events. Uh, welcome to Roldovia, gentlemen. What fortuitous roles have had you in the world of geek this month? What have you been up to?
4: Well, where do you want to start? Uh, a bit of Magic jewels. Um, oh,
3: has it been working for I'm, you? I'm
4: grinding. Yeah, it's working for me. Fantastic. I'm, I'm grinding away. Actually, it really does feel like I'm grinding at the moment because I'm trying to get up to uh, 4,800 g- coins <laughs> so I can buy that elusive uh, thirty two pack Yeah, um, yeah. like a booster box.
3: Yeah, yep. Imaginary e-booster right. e, e box. <laughs> and yeah. then I
4: can just imagine rolling, you know, rubbing them all over myself as I as I unwrap them. Yeah, like American <laughs> Beauty style, just yeah. like
3: as if there are dollar notes
4: or something. That's it. So I expect to, to get to there probably in about three or four months from now. <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> you know you get extra money for your first win of the day. You, do you get that on 360? Yeah, but
4: I'm not... No, oh, no. on the iPad, yeah. Oh, you're playing um, You do, but yeah. uh, it's just whether or not I... I get intimidated by the other players, even though there's no interaction. With yeah, them. Uh, I know. They're still intimidating me.
3: My self talk in any Magic game is dreadful. It's always like this guy knows exactly what I've got, what, he, what exactly what I want to do next, and whatever I've got, he's got something way better. So yeah. I've pretty much already lost.
1: No, That's I'm what pretty... he wants you to think.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty much just grinding the community, uh, the community um, quests at the moment.
3: You keep saying grinding, that just makes me think I've been doing... uh, You know, since Prince died, I bought (laughs) Purple Rain and there's a song in there called uh, My Darling Nikki, which was uh, the song responsible for, um, you know, the little parent sensory, uh, you know, warning? Advisory, yep. yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The Mrs. Gore, forget what her first... Tipper Gore, uh, wife of the, you know, the presidential Al Gore. Yeah. uh, She came into the room, heard her little daughter singing along to Prince's My Darling Nikki and uh, invented the parental advisory censorship warning. Wow, just for that. Yeah, because it was very much... And this gets us back to what you were saying about grinding. It was very much about how Nikki <laughs> liked to grind and uh, Prince liked to grind along with her.
1: Yeah, well... Oh,
3: yeah. <laughs> there you go. Early Seven Land Hand fact. <laughs>
1: Typical sounds too. like the sort of villain you'd find at the end of some 16-year-old's D&D campaign. Yeah.
3: <laughs> she does need a good punching. However, she has been responsible for us now knowing which albums have all got the cool stuff on it.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
4: well, apart from that, uh, I've been uh, getting heavily into Gantz. Um, which is a, an anime, uh, or a manga, and uh, also an anime.
2: What have you which, been to, DVDs um, or you know Netflixing? Or?
4: No, no, actually just uh, on, on the iPad, just looking ABC at... ABC for kids? Downloaded, uh, <laughs> <laughs> downloaded uh, comic. Oh, okay. And, um, yeah, I, I'd seen the animated series a number of years ago, and it was quite intriguing, and, and then I've just, for some reason, just decided... What happened to good old Gantz? Because they had a live anim- live version of it as well. So, it's really done well. There was. Do you know anything about this, Jamie? No, I was
1: no. assuming it was some sort of poor translation of Igads.
4: No. no, no, Gantz. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's this uh, alien sphere. Well, presumed alien sphere that uh, when it handpicks people when they die uh, tragically, and gets them to a room, and then they sends them off into a, a, like a copy of Tokyo. And they uh, hunt down aliens oh, that are man. that are living amongst people there, and uh, it's quite uh, horrific. And uh, I don't know how how well it translates to English because I, I've I've be I found it a bit awkward. <laughs> Yeah, well, no. Oh, is I'm it reading subtitled? It. Are you reading it? I'm reading the actual. Now I'm manga. sure
3: I've seen a TV show recently that sounds exactly like this. And I can't quite put my finger on it. Whether it was uh, something I'd seen on Facebook or something that was on Netflix, yeah. but
4: well, it's black and white, and it's um, well, if it's, you're reading it, it
3: will be. I <laughs> always do that.
4: It's it's a harder read, I think, than uh, hardback. Then it's a, well, yeah. Well, yeah. I'd say it's harder read than my uh, Walking Dead. So, um, but I think that's the language translation. And and also I found this out after reading of getting through the first few pages and it having made no sense at all that I realized it's actually in the Japanese form. So you've got to read from uh, right to left (laughs) and not left to right as we normally would. But hang on a minute. It's got English words on the page, right? Yeah. That's because someone's gone in afterwards and edited it. Yeah. Yeah.
3: But the, so what, the sentences are still backwards?
4: Yeah, well, the, ca- the thing about the... Um, and it took you, like, how many pages to realise that the sentences it, were backwards? It took me about five or six. Why is that? Wouldn't it be obvious well, straight away? <laughs> I just thought the translation was really poor. And then I started to realise that, uh, no, actually, if I start it on the right-hand side and read towards the left, it makes more sense.
3: Man, we've spent the entire <laughs> afternoon, because Jamie's doing the quiz later on, listeners, trying to convince Jamie that we're proper stupid, <laughs> but I think you've finally nailed it <laughs>
1: home, man. That's that, great. That is the most impressive, <laughs> stupid thing that you guys have ever told me. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you
4: know, blame, blame somebody else, not me. I, I'm not the one that put it on the interweb.
1: What do you got, I will, Jamie? I will, what are you blame, I will blame Western culture for teaching it to read left to right. How's that?
4: Uh, <laughs> yeah, fair enough, and I'm, I'm responsible for that. And I guess, So are you, though.
1: Oh, absolutely! I ex English teacher. It's all my fault.
4: Yeah. What geeky things you've
3: been up to, Jamie? Uh,
1: let me see. I went and saw both X Men: Apocalypse and Civil War.
3: Well done. Um, I haven't seen been... either yet. So oh, no well, spoilers. You're in...
4: No, I mean you're in for a I couple haven't... of treats. I, um, I was surprised to find that that Apocalypse was so quick on the heels of Civil War. Like, well, I don't think
1: that they really, you know, sit there and go. Let's find out what the other guys are doing and then do something else, you know, two weeks later. Yeah. Um, the dates are booked, you know, well in advance.
3: Oh, They do, they do shift things around, though. Like, if they know that a, a big movie's coming out, they try to avoid it or, and postpone it by a bit. I know that they've done that with
1: the previous titles, but...
4: But aren't they out fact. of the same studio?
1: No, no. Um, Marvel did Civil War and Fox did... Uh, oh, Fox.
4: <clears throat> oh, that's right, because Fox have the uh, Monopoly on all the X-Men stuff, don't they? That's right.
1: Yeah, that's right.
4: And what, what do
3: you reckon? I'm, I've started to think for Civil War, this might be the first one, I'm starting to feel oversaturated, I might wait for the DVD Blu-ray release, because it, it doesn't seem to be that long to wait anymore, because like, isn't Deadpool, he's already out on DVD or Blu-ray? Yeah. He is? Yeah, I think so. I've heard, like, there's been a few American podcasts talking about they've already bought it and watched it.
1: Yeah, I think he comes out next week here, which will be this week by the time people hear this. Well, yeah. it's still
4: not um, very long.
1: It's still not very long, that's true. Yeah, um, yeah. Look, I think they're both really, really good movies to see at the cinema. Um, my personal pick is X-Men. Uh, Civil War... Civil War is enjoyable, but... Um, it, it's got flaws, and X-Men was just start to finish a wonderful, wonderful film.
3: Okay. Have you heard there's going to be a, a Wolverine movie, Wolverine 3, and it's going to be R-rated?
1: I've heard them talking about it, yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, I don't know what that means, if it just means he's going to be going running around with his uh, claws, slicing people in half in more horrible ways than uh, what he's done so far. but.
1: Well, exactly. One of the things that you might notice about Wolverine so far in all the films is that... Um, there's very little blood splatter, really. Yeah, it's pretty vanilla. For, for people being torn apart with claws.
2: Mm.
4: Well, the the funny thing I've heard is that it's not the traditional Wolverine story. It's actually a, an alternate storyline.
3: Yeah, Old Man Wolverine or something like that. Old Man it? Logan. Old Man Logan, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, I haven't read that stuff. I, read, I got uh, an old um, Frank Miller, when Frank Miller did... Uh, wolverine and i thought oh i'll go retro i'll go read that but <laughs> yeah i couldn't go backwards it was you could see the art was cool but it had that what did they used to use like three or four color print and it just looked really dated and as someone that gets put off by something not looking visually good it th- yeah. threw through me and that was all about him getting married and going to japan and all that sort of stuff
1: oh yeah, yeah i remember that Yeah, but-
3: that one um, I actually got dragged into Minecraft. Can you believe? For up to the date, up to date news, uh, my kids have been getting right into Minecraft. So, I uh, I thought oh, I'll I'll do a bit of Minecraft and join in with them, all that sort of stuff. Massively relaxing. I can't tell you how much. If you haven't done it, go dig some holes and see. Go search for gold and diamonds and stuff. It's amazingly relaxing.
4: You know someone who who also has a game coming out that's not unlike Minecraft.
3: What's that? Oh, Riley. Riley, yeah, and we might have going. him on soon as well to talk about it. Yeah.
4: Well, you were P- talking PC, about right? you were talking about visually appealing uh, and visually appealing and Minecraft. I, yeah, it's I not right, didn't is it? Think that they went together I know. in the same sense.
3: Yeah. Well, that's, that was probably why I never got into it because I sort of looked at it; it was very blocky and thought, nah, not all that bothered. But I mean, the creative aspect of it is really good fun as well. Um, I mean, you do find my kids yourself... are
1: thoroughly addicted.
3: Yeah. Have you had? a have you had a go with it, Jamie?
1: yeah yeah
3: i prefer lego hey i was listening to some podcasts today and how come americans always get lego wrong? they always call it uh legos legos like plural no answer
1: again you know can't we just blame western society and the education system
3: yeah (laughs) we can hey how about some oh hang on before i do a bit of news that i found out it was free comic book day recently right jamie
1: it was. It was uh, so much
3: fun. Do you have a pick of little free comics? Because I do.
1: Do you? Yeah. Um. Oh, let me. Okay. Well, I'll tell you about come, mine. I'll come back to you. Tell me your pick.
3: We we got we got quite a few because I went in with my wife and my son and my daughter and we all got four comics that were different from each other somehow. We didn't coordinate our efforts, did we? <clears throat> <At all. laughs> But um, yeah, uh, Travis—that's my son. He picked up uh, the stuff of legend, which um, is like teddy bears going nuts and everything. But yeah, I and, saw that one, and that and that one looks really good. I was really impressed by that. I, you know, it's done exactly what Free Comic Book Day is about. It's got me intrigued to read on and get the rest. Did
1: you, the, you, uh, the well, I, I haven't read all of them yet, but um, Civil War Two was trash. Like, oh, I got was that one. One of the worst. <laughs> teasers for a story i've ever seen yeah. the doctor who one was really good though
3: oh we did pick up that we I, I think I, we gave it to a friend of ours who's a big doctor who fan
1: well i i'm also a big doctor who fan yeah the bruce the bruce lee comic was surprisingly good
3: oh yeah bruce lee the dragon rises
1: yeah, uh, and my daughter was all over the dc superhero girls one yeah now, same, i yeah. had no chance to look at it yet but she loved it
3: yeah we also got Suicide Squad because that was current. I uh, haven't looked at it yet, though. Um, what other big titles? Well, you say big titles. I
4: have to say, it passed me by. I, um...
3: That was the first one that we did, actually. The first yeah. one we went in, and it was pretty cool. And it's we good. We to...
1: stood it in the store. Uh, and well, yeah, one got... of the nice things was that because we're, we're sort of 25 minutes out of the city, and if you go into the city, the queues to get to anything are sort of two hours long. Yeah. So um, they've been getting progressively longer as the years go on, and we actually had people coming in who didn't want to go to the city because they didn't want to wait that long. Mm,
2: that's
4: good, <laughs> So yeah. we had
1: a really, really busy free comic book day when we were expecting it to be kind of low-key. Yeah,
4: right. Is there a difference between the, the stock, that you, the publications you get in, and what the other bigger um, dedicated comic stores would get?
1: No, nope, nothing at all.
3: Yeah, because someone locally was saying, oh, you can only get one comic, but uh, our local quality comics was given away four to everybody. Is that standard?
1: Uh, Usually two to everybody, and then you can get some more with a purchase. Oh, okay. Um, we We were doing two to everybody, and then if you bought $50 worth, you could have one of everything.
3: Oh, nice. Wow,
4: that's pretty generous.
1: Yeah, it was all right, yeah.
4: All right. Um, but it was just—it was for such a, a fun
1: day. Like so many people just having a good time, you know. Yeah. Talking about stuff they like to read. It was really good.
4: What about Netflix? How's that been going? Now I know the other last night I uh, was mm. there doing the dishes as I usually am, and uh, I needed something to watch, and so I turned to you guys for suggestions.
2: Yeah.
4: And that went well. I, I thought yeah. it went really well because yeah. uh, Jamie, you suggested um, the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt.
1: Unbreakable.
3: Yeah, which, which I which for I, the entirety of the conversation, I thought you were talking about the movie Unbreakable,
4: <laughs> which is a good film. <laughs>
3: yeah,
4: good yeah, superhero yeah. flick. Well, so
3: all my comments relate to the movie, not the show, because <laughs> I don't know anything about the show.
4: But um, my impressions of that, uh, I, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, Dan Harmon and his work on Community. So I'm, um, you know, I like that short form comedy. However, I found uh, Unbreakable to be um, a little bit too quick. You know, the pace—it was like a rocketing sort of pace, and I found that was just too quick for my attentions. And doing the dishes at the same time, like I lost things. So um,
1: I can see that that would happen while you're doing the dishes. Yeah, so don't yeah.
4: do the dishes and watch that show. That's the <laughs> well, tip. No, that's there. my thing. But yeah. um, and then. David, you gave me the uh, suggestion of Orphan Black. Yes,
3: I did. That was a good tip.
4: That was a good tip. Yeah. I got right into that, <clears throat> and uh, it confused me a bit. I didn't know whether it was British or whether it was US, but then it turns out it was British-Canadian. Yeah.
3: And
1: see, all I, I also sat down and watched Orphan Black after that. Oh, haven't you lose, seen it either? A bit lukewarm on it.
3: Oh, yeah. Keep watching it. Tatiana Maslati Yeah, yeah. Like, I think I'm going to give it a couple more gun.
1: episodes to see how it goes. But I was just like, the first episode was... You keep watching. You keep not watching. Going it. Anywhere <laughs> when the,
3: when there's things like there's the the full cast is there and the actor Tatiana Maslani is playing what, character A pretending to be character B uh, to fool the characters you know, other other characters that are familiar with character B. It's just it almost gets hilarious. You know, it's it's. I
1: can imagine. Yeah.
3: It's re- it's really no, I, really good. I
1: thought his gay buddy was a lot of fun. Oh, sorry, okay,
3: buddy. The brother, yeah. The brother's really yeah, yeah. good. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a bit stereotypical camp guy, but it kind of works. Is he's good fun.
4: Well, once yeah. I've done with those two, I then um I then turned my attention to a movie that just popped up on Stan and called Cooties. Okay. Now I would have to describe Cooties as being uh teaching porn, basically, See. without the porn. But um <laughs> Imagine a, an elementary school, or a, or a high school, or a primary school full of kids who turn into ravenous zombies. Yeah, and then uh, the teachers have to band together to uh, set things straight. Or doesn't <laughs> and...
3: sound very porny.
4: <laughs> no, it's not. It's a yeah. it's a really silly uh, zombie horror. Uh, Elijah Wood is in it, and some other. Um, and actually had the guy that played Hurley from Lost. He was in it as well. Oh, God. It's, it's,
3: hang on. Because you're hunting around on Netflix, does this mean you finally give given Lost away?
4: I have not
3: oh. lost <laughs> myself
4: in Lost for quite some oh, time now, yeah. There are too many other things to watch. I mean, yeah, like anything. Me. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think they're ever going to take Lost off, unlike they, no, uh, they do with go other away. things. So I, I think uh, I've got time to watch that. But, uh, yeah, that was an intriguing... I haven't... Um, I hadn't seen it before and uh, yeah, it, it was a rubbish film, completely ridiculous, but it provided me with a great uh, two hours entertainment, so yeah. Hey, uh, get, get back to cooties, Marathon and North and Black
3: and tell us what you think of that. <laughs> anyway, news directly from Variety, uh, check this out guys. That's swanky. Brian Cranston has boarded, has boarded the 10-part sci-fi anthology series, Electric Dreams, The World of Philip K. Dick. Um, oh, wow. So Philip K. Dick of, you know, who Electric Dreams written for uh, Blade... Who wrote Bla- uh, well, he didn't write Blade Runner, but that was what Blade Runner was based on, to Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, uh, as mentioned in the intro, by the way. Um, he's, uh, yeah, there's this Emmy Award-nominated Ronald D. Moore who did Battlestar Galactica and Outlander, who, Outlander starring Fran Gil friend of the show, an act- Scottish big, massive Scottish actor. Um, he's writing it with Michael Dinner from Justified, uh, and Cranston's co producing it. Oh, here's, the, here's the juicy bit Electric Dreams will illustrate Dick's prophetic vision and celebrate the prized sci fi novelist's work, and each episode will be a standalone drama adapted and contemporized for global audiences. Well, cool. so it sounds like Twilight Zone, the uh, Philip K. Dick style, doesn't it?
4: Black Mirror. Yeah, that sort kind of, of thing stuff. maybe. That yeah. sounds good. I I really like that because um you, you don't have to you don't have to watch the whole thing from start to finish. You can drop in wherever you want and you're not going to worry about losing any plot line or anything like. You know, your characters are all going to be different, so you're not going to worry about uh, mm. losing connection with them because it's just, you know, it's it's in there quickly uh for what an hour and a half or whatever it'll be. But I've, I've,
3: I've read around a lot of Philip K. Dick, and I still only remember do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. All the other ones seem to be um, people that are actually cows um, moaning about not getting eaten by someone, and it feels very uh, restaurant at the end of the universe kind of situation. I don't know, that, that sort of thing, and almost instantly forgettable. I, I, I don't have another title. I mean, you're pretty well-read, Jamie. Have you got Philip K. Dick stories that you would like to see on the small screen?
1: Uh, not so much. I don't no. mind Philip K. Dick, but he's um, I'm much more of a Frank Herbert sort of a guy. Oh, yeah. Like a dune.
4: Yeah, I, I,
3: agree, do. I agree with you there. I like my Herbert. All right, well, small screen
1: excitement then. But I can um, see Brian Cranston being a sci-fi guy pretty easily. Like, yeah. that's a nice
3: jump. He, he's probably one of those guys who's always interesting on the screen. You can watch him do a lot of different stuff and he sells a story to you, doesn't he? Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, so on the small screen, also Lock and Keys getting another shot. Apparently they have. Oh a,
1: really? That's great.
3: Yeah, they had a rubbish pilot in 2012 that didn't get picked up by anybody, and it's the rights have gone back to IDW, and they're going to make it and try and sell it off. Awesome. So um, yeah, uh, what have we got here? We've got a quote from um, from. Um, I forgot his first name now. Hill. 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 What's Joe Hill? Joe. Big Joe, Stephen King's son, he said, I love this story. The seven years I spent working on Lock and Key was the happiest creative experience of my life, and there still isn't a day when I don't think about those characters and miss visiting with them. These six books of a series are like very much like six seasons of a cable TV series, and so it feels only natural to bring that world to the little screen. And to see if we can I can't scare the pants off everyone. I think he's on board as a producer or something like that. So it'd be nice to see if he gets better luck than his dad, you know, being uh, attached to something, and everybody knows he's attached to it, and then it comes out good. <laughs> is that? I oh know Stephen King's Series
1: stuff? actually um, only six books long. Yeah, It seems longer than that.
3: Yeah, no, no, that seems about right. There's uh, well six, yeah, six um, trade papers long.
1: Yeah,
4: yeah, very good. I well, mean, you've been trying to sell that for a quite to me for quite some time. Uh, yeah, to yeah. Check it out, and uh, yeah, I mean, upon hearing that news, I thought. Uh, yeah, I will. I will actually check it out because it, uh you know, I don't I haven't read much of Joe Hill, of course, but I mean I'm not a huge Stephen King um He's got it Joe Hill's got a new either, novel coming but, out
3: as well. It's apparently it's a it's a huge, huge, huge yeah. volume. But,
4: yeah. but this sounds like something I mean I've read the premise of it and of Lock and Key and, and it's interesting to me. So yeah, I think we'll I'll give it a chance. Speaking
1: of uh, weird fiction and new novels. Yeah. Uh, it's not a novel, but it is about a novelist. I, uh, I recently ran the new Call of Cthulhu RPG.
3: Ah, nice.
1: I did and, see the uh, photo of that. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It is such a solid game. Great system. Really, really player-friendly. Big focus on investigation over combat. Just yeah. So much fun.
3: Is that hardback of that going to come out for retail, or is that just going to be a, something you get kickstarted?
1: I don't know the answer. I hope uh, that it comes out for retail because I have a bunch of people who saw mine and really want one. Yeah,
3: <laughs> me, me, me included. I've been after that. I keep missing the the releases of them, but however, I think I worked out that the something like the thirtieth anniversary of it was coming up in the next couple of years. So I thought they'll do something for that. So I have to keep tuned to um, was it. Uh, who's uh,
4: uh, I was oh, going to say Cryptozoic names? but it's not Cryptozoic oh,
2: who, oh, Chaosium. Chaosium Chaosium there you go thank you yeah. Oh, yeah, um, yeah.
4: was this the one that, that ran into trouble during its Kickstarter after it had um, been successful and that they this is that one
1: yes. yeah, someone so sailed a
3: the boat directly into it and yeah. <laughs> stopped it in its tracks
1: yeah so but they man did they deliver in the end <laughs> yeah and
4: which edition ades- which uh, edition is it fifth is that right seventh seventh, yeah. seventh. Oh, okay yep yeah right
3: I would have been all over that. I hate it when Kickstarters come and go like boom, you know, and it's gone, you know, and you would be. I would have so got that.
4: Well, I've noticed a real trend with the Kickstarters at the moment that there that a lot of them have only just popped in for a very short. Um, yeah, they campaigns. are. Aren't they? About 20, times are getting shorter. Twenty days, yeah. And um, you know, uh, this world of mind, this war of Mine, the board game was one of those as an example of one of those. Oh, Twenty we've... days was the campaign where I was expecting it to be much longer, but I mean they've more than blown through their um, through their um, expectation, which is great, and they're they're doing something really good, which is uh, actually engaging with their um, backers. To make suggestions for what Sorry. content is going to be. But go also, into it's not just the backers,
3: it's just anybody. So that drags yeah. people into interest going, hey, look, we're kickstarting this at the moment. Do you reckon this cover or that cover? Or, hey, there's this packer going? It's the kids' pack versus whatever it was that yeah. I didn't vote for that you voted for.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, well, that's funny. We, we, there have been about three of them so far. Mm. And I think that we might have agreed on one of them and the others, we sort of went opposite sides, which is really, really. But I think engaged, it's really clever. We're engaged
3: beginning. in we're engaged yeah. in the process of it coming out and excited for things about the game, you know. And I think that's that's a cool little uh, marketing strategy they've got going there. And, yeah. and we back we've backed the game, and hopefully we'll get hold of uh, Jacob.
4: Yeah, I'm still working on Jacob. Yeah, um, and, hopefully uh, he'll
3: come on the show and have a chat to us about the whole thing. I don't know, maybe after it's launched. Well, we'll have a chat to him. We'll see when it when it comes out. Yeah, We'll yeah. figure it out.
1: So interesting Kickstarter fact. Yeah, one of the reasons that you're seeing that happen. Is because people were finding that can, uh, campaigns that went too long actually had people pulling out their backer, their yeah. backership and going and backing something else that they wanted that had come up in the meantime.
3: Uh, yeah, interesting.
4: I, I can I can see how that would happen. Um, yeah, if you got if you got two hundred
3: dollars to spend on the whole year on games, uh, yeah, you're going to get excited about a game for a minute. Back it, and then when something else comes out, that initial spurt of excitement is going to make you jump ship, I guess.
4: It's for that reason that whenever I do look at backing a project, uh, I will actually hit that star notification to let me know in 48 hours when it's about to end. Yeah. Um, And that's when I'll pledge. Uh, you know, I'm sure you know, they, they want you to pledge early on because so, it makes the numbers look great and, of course, it helps them break through stretch goals and whatnot. But from my perspective, I want to be sure that what I'm going to back is what I want. So that's why I, I hit the 40, let me know in 48 hours. when it's Yeah, of course. So, yeah, and that, that's that's, also that's what cool, I'll continue to do. That's I do a that cool
3: way to camping. find out if you're getting the good stretch goals as well. And, uh, yeah, I think the main thing for me is it's always about shipping. It's always about yeah. shipping. I mean, the guys, the good games publishing guys nailed it with Monstrous, but some other people are just releasing card games, and the shipping, you know, when the shipping's twice the value of the card game, yeah. it's like, ah, oh, you're to Australia, I might like to point out. Uh, yeah, well, just forget about there's it.
4: There's no real excuse for that, because uh, Nova Cry, which we unboxed the other week, yeah. um, the shipping was free worldwide. So, you know, it was a $30, $35 game, and with free shipping
1: do a bit of homework, guys. Yeah, well, that, that's factored into the cost of the game, of course, but still, that's that's much more sensible, really. Yeah. Or if you Similarly, did, like... Kim worked really hard to get postage out of China to everywhere, so the, the rates were much lower than what a lot of companies were doing, which is shipping the games to America and then shipping them out from yeah. there.
3: Because China's so... in a great place as far as shipping it to Europe, uh, Asia, Austria, Australia. Or yeah, you're Greek, in the middle of everything. That's yeah, right. you're right in the middle, so... Screw the Atlantic, let's forget about that.
4: <laughs> well, it used to be that we consider...
3: Sorry, everyone in Greenland. <laughs>
4: it used to be that Europe would be considered the middle of, of the world. But no, it's not. You're right. China is is considered a centralised location now, so... Yeah. yeah.
3: Oh, well, Queen Victoria hasn't been here for a while.
4: <laughs> uh, I think we've covered
3: everything, guys. Uh, so... It's just for me to say that uh, later in the show we're going to speak to Todd Rowland, uh, senior brand manager at AEG. Yeah, AEG. You know the badge. You've seen it on everything. Uh, so stay tuned for the ins and outs of life inside of AEG and how Todd goes about producing all those great AEG AEG games we've come to know and love and stash in our briefcases. Yeah. And
4: looking forward to that. That'll um... what not yeah that yeah. I think that' would be a good chat and a different sort of thing as well because uh, we've we've spoken to designers we've spoken to artists artists um so now we're going to speak to someone who and we've spoken to um you know, Jamie to Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it'll be a chance to speak to someone who's more, I guess, involved with the machinations of of the of the
1: company.
3: Yeah, it seems like uh, he's the producer almost. He gets all the talent together and says, "Bang, this is the product. Get to it." Well, and, um, let's
1: not bury the lead, boys. We'll find out when we talk
3: to him. <laughs> yeah, no need to interview Todd, Todd anymore. We've explained it. No, let's uh, let's do a blob and uh, oh, we're we're doing Dice City today, people. So um, yeah. Let's get in a bit of that. Tell me more. Win Dice City for commenting on the Facebook page for this show. That's episode 69 at facebook.com forward slash 7 Hand. We'll announce last month's winner of Monstrous. Monstrous. Yeah, that's the spirit. It's going to be sad to let that go, isn't it?
1: Monstrous. Yeah. Monstrous.
3: We'll announce that later in Neats and Twos. Entries are growing each month, so increase your chances of winning and get in now. Uh, right, the
1: comments are getting bigger.
3: The comments are getting big. Yeah, be creative with them as well. That's fun. We love to engage with you listeners and have a bit of a have a bit of a banter, a bit of a gag.
4: Well, that gives us something to read on the cold, cold nights.
1: Yeah, we're very. I, cold. I'd say it was a dialogue, but with a listener. There's four of us. So <laughs> Every Audra. month,
4: Good Games are offering our listeners a special offer on
3: the game we review. This month, it's Dice City. Uh, so, while stocks last, Good Games is giving Seven Land Hand listeners a 10% discount off Dice City. All you have to do is submit your city's blueprints to a Good Game store and state this month's password
1: transform, transform and, and roll out. out.
3: Thanks, Transformers nerds. Uh, for the next four weeks, it is
1: transform And roll
3: out. Uh, And that's while stocks last. Okay, so on with the show. What do you got there, Matt? I am Optimus Prime. Autobots, transform and roll out. (laughs) Yeah, you've been monking around with that phone long enough. I thought you'd (laughs) let it get it in.
2: (laughs) All
3: right, welcome back. Dice City, guys. Yeah. That's what we're talking about today, AEG's Dice City from Art- an Artipia Games. Get our roll on. Get our roll on, yeah. We're smelling fragrant in the armpit area.
1: <laughs> um,
3: Jamie, what's the narrative and the objective of this game?
1: All right, well, as you uh, heard at the top of the show, the kingdom of Roldovia needs a new capital. We're trying to build it. It's pretty straightforward. In terms of objective, it's what we in the business call Point Salad. Uh, You are trying to score points in lots of different ways, in lots of different areas, by doing lots of different things. And whoever's at the highest points at the end is the victor.
3: And it's very much hide hide your victory points as you go as well, which is a different thing to what we've seen in in recent games. Like like Bruno Cathala games are very much, here's my victory points, this is where I'm up to. But this one is hide them as you go along.
1: Yeah, well, it's one of the classic sort of Euro things is that you want all the information available to everyone as much as possible. Um, and, uh, and Bruno is of that school. Trey you know, you should, you should be theor- theoretically be able to figure everything out by looking around the table. Yeah. But, but uh, no, Dice City's not like that. Dice City, you, uh, you hide your victory point tokens. They all have different values and different sizes on the back. So uh, you're never quite sure where you stand.
3: All right, so so before we get into the bits and bobs of it, maybe we just describe what those bits and bobs are and what what, what everything looks like on the table in front of you. Now, Matt and I did an unboxing and probably as all unboxings are, label everything incorrectly and make assumptions which are completely false. <laughs>
4: well, that's fine, but we showed... That's the fun of it.
3: Yeah, that's the fun of the unboxing, right? We, we make showed... ourselves look like idiots.
4: We showed all the elements. Yeah. Right? So, so... But now I guess we'll give the correct description of what those elements are. Oh. So if you feel like it, go back and watch the unboxing without the sound and uh, we'll uh, guide you through it.
3: Lofty aspirations to provide the <laughs> correct information here, Matt. But
4: yeah, feel, feel free. Break us into it. What so, have we got? When you crack open the box, there are four player boards... Staring at you. Uh, So every in a wonderful player game, everybody gets their own. In a
3: one-player game, everyone gets their own.
4: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Especially in a one-player game, you get your own board. But um, it's they're all identical, so there's no difference. There's no advantage. To be seen by having uh, any particular board, other than if you have a lucky one, I guess. No, no,
3: they're all, they're all the same.
2: Yeah.
3: And <laughs> <So laughs> the board's broken up. You've got your white row, your yellow row, your red row, your gri- your <laughs> blue yeah. row and your black row. Here I'm looking at the rows and I can't <laughs> identify the colours correctly.
4: Yeah. And those, uh, those rows correspond to the colours of the dice.
3: And there's very few dice in this, which I'm was surprised. one of our first things about this game was what, makes it a dice game in a dice city there's only eight letters in the title of the game and four of them are saying dice not many many dice in the game
4: no and they're all the same so there's no different faces yeah or anything. you're bog standard
3: six-sided dice Yeah, that's it but they're in well the you should have
1: players. expected that from the the dice in the title of dice city the, the eyes both have hang on hang G6s. on <laughs>
4: there is the, t- the name dice in dice masters and they're all different. Yeah,
3: but the eyes aren't dotted. But like they're still all D sixes. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I'll, g- I'll, g-
4: I'll give you that one, Jamie. Yeah. Uh, um, what else again. we got? <laughs> There's a, a rule book, uh, which is a nice. Uh, it's a it's a small, well laid out rule book um, with uh, how to plays and examples. It's nice, big text. So I feel they could have probably made it smaller if they wanted to. But we got uh, into it's it nice reasonably
3: quickly, though, didn't we? Yeah, it wasn't. Yep. It wasn't too tricky, and there's a, but and but the player guides there's player guides, and they seem a little bit. We thought they were a little bit limited, as far they didn't have all the phases of the game. It just sort of told you what what was no. it uh, using your dice and using your pass tokens. Yeah,
4: and that was it. So, I, yeah, perhaps the reference sheet gave a little bit less information than. Um, but but to be
3: fair, that was the information cool. that you were always going. What what can I? What's this bit? And the oh, ones that you sure. had the questions about. Sure. It was just that wasn 't it?
4: yeah, and that was the steps, and which it was just yeah, I guess is the most important thing uh, the next part next component are the, are the variety of cards, so there were cards for locations uh, and then uh, that you these are the things that you put into your your uh, burgeoning city, and each one of them you know they 've all got different backs, uh, things like the training camp bazaar cemetery, marketplace, each one of them has uh, a cost associated, and then each one has a different effect and can either have a defense rating or not and have a victory point rating for the end of the game. Um, They're the this... right
1: size and design to fit over the spaces already on the board.
4: Yeah, yeah. that's right. So you, you're basically write, overwriting what was already there, and I guess the real strategists and city planners among you will... Um, <laughs> immediately look for opportunities to upgrade those uh, those card spaces. Um,
3: yeah, because the, one, the ones that you start with are very vanilla, but the cards yeah. are obviously upgrading you for a fair bit. Yep, <clears throat> And the way these oh. cards interact is important as well. So where you, where you place them in rows is important as far as if, how they're going to interact or if you place them on different rows, it, it's going to affect how much chance you've got of landing on, like, say, a military card. Yeah.
4: There are resource cards as well. There's uh, typical resources from uh, a, con- a city-building sort of game. Uh, wood, stone, and iron and they're all the same, so they're decks of uh, cards that are that are identical. Uh, which you are, are your commodity, or they produce commodities for you throughout the game. And then they are also that's, that's, sorry, Jamie. that's
1: probably the most simple up, upgrade as well is that your it basic yeah. basic board has a space that produces one wood, and you can for two wood buy a space that produces two wood.
4: Yeah, yep, buy that's a lumber
3: it. mill. And there you go, bang.
4: Uh, just like those resources, there's the the military cards, which are the militia or the army, and uh, that that adds to your uh, your your military, military strength for uh,
3: attacking on the defensive yep. uh, values of other people's um, commodities.
4: And then the next set of cards are the ones that actually earn you uh, the. the the most victory points and that are things like the bandit cards so if you defeat bandits you earn victory points and there are varying strengths of um of bandits so you can earn potentially you're earning between two and uh two and four victory points that's I not the most it ones it's like stuff like the trade no, ships, the and trade trade stuff ships like have that. more so trade ships are the next sort of victory point card and when you get these, this is the important: is you put them face down. So you're talking about yeah. that hidden information about your victory points. This, these are the cards that you're earning or that you're targeting, so that you uh, can get the most victory points out of the game. Turn them face down so you uh, so your opponents don't know how many you're accumulating. Although if they're they're watching what you're doing, then they're going to have an idea anyway. But uh, the trade ships they have a varying degree of of difficulty of acquisition in that they require greater resources for the greater number of uh, victory points. And then the final... Um, final no, bunch of cards.
3: No, no, these these other cards. Oh, the though, location cards. Yeah, no, yeah, I went through the location cards. But they, they said, did you say about the trade row? You know, like there's sort of like a, a trade row that you get to select stuff from and buy things out of. Yeah, that's right. It's an eight-card
4: mm. eight trade row, depending on the number of players, I think it is. Okay. And you... Uh, that, that's the open market, so that's what you can freely choose from as long as you've got the resources to pay for it. The final, uh, I guess, the final component is actually the tokens themselves. And the tokens represent all of the uh, all the resources available in the game. The, the past the, tokens. The, the building resources in the game. Past tokens, in case you, you choose, decide you've got nothing to do. You, uh, you can diet. grab a one of those and then spend it on subsequent yeah. turns.
3: Deactivation tokens. Yeah. And that's a pretty simple bit, isn't it? It's like if, you, if your uh, building or whatever gets attacked military-wise by someone else, it just gets deactivated and you can reactivate it just as simply on your next go. So it's not the end of the world, but they get a truckload of victory points for doing it. Yeah, they do. A- and it costs you a dice to unlock it again.
4: Yeah, it's, it's a time-wasting time thing for... For you, if it's used against you, tempo play. Yeah, the, um, and there's victory point tokens as well. The only other token that's in there is the start player token, which baffled us. We <laughs> first, it was a <laughs> baffling time. Did, did that cause you any grief,
1: Jamie? No, it, it's no. start player
4: token. I'll, I'll explain why it caused us grief. It, when we we picked it out there, and there were there were three of us playing, and. Well, we'd pretty much decided who was going to go first, and now this thing doesn't move around the, the board as you it play. It stays fixed, right? It stays with one player. That's play. right. Yeah. So what was the point of it? <laughs> it is my only comment.
3: Well, it's because when you get to the end of the game, whoever gets decides the to chart. end the game, it goes around and ends before the, first, the start player so that everyone's had the same amount of goes.
4: I would hope you could remember that.
3: Well, yeah, you probably could, but, you know, I don't know, maybe it's a drinking game. <laughs> you'd, be,
1: you'd be surprised.
2: Mm.
4: <laughs> and uh, that's it. So really, it's it's quite components light, uh, tokens, dice, cards, boards, and uh, and and that's it. So physically, there's not a lot uh, to the game.
3: It's it, mystifying as to how heavy it is, as was demonstrated by my <laughs> excellent um, demonstration that's right. with the. We always, well, I think we both said the name of it wrong and correctly at various times during that video. The Molio O'Rourke's Irish. Whiskey cake?
2: Yeah,
4: that's
3: right. Dice City's heavier than that cake. Yeah. Um, uh, Quarriers not heavier than that cake. No. But when we opened Dice City, there was very little, little inside the box. So,
1: so it's that's like because there's four boards in the box, guys. Yeah, which yeah are all, all built out heavy.
3: of all built out of dark matter. We've decided <laughs> so a very heavy game, full of gravity.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. So how does it play? Well, what do we do? You know, we've got. Um, did you find? You know, it's, 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 there's bits of Seven Wonders that come out. It's, it sounds like, you know, it's yeah. very much similar in terms of just grabbing your resources and building things up from there and, and yeah. building your city.
1: How it's a about... very gateway starter game. Oh, it sure
4: is. Um, there, was, there was nothing overly difficult about getting into it. There are a couple of rules things that we had to uh, get some clarity on, but you know, they were very few. It, we were able to jump in it relatively quickly from opening it. Um, set-up time was, was you know, quite small, really, uh, considering all you had to do was separate the piles of cards. There are some, depending on the number of players you have, you have to uh, remove some of the cards from the victory point stacks. Mm. But, you know, that that's quickly done, and then uh, you're away.
3: So. Do you want to run us through the win conditions, Jamie, if you got them there? Because I can remember when we were um, first playing the game, uh, we just we, we got to that point and we go, all right, what are the win conditions for that game? And when we read them out, it just felt like it was going to be an eternity before we were able to achieve those victory um, conditions. Oh,
1: look, it's not that bad. It, it uh, isn't, so it isn't that bad ends. in the end,
3: but at, at early on in your early couple of games, you think, really? It's going to take a long time?
1: It looks like it would, but I actually found after a while it was you were wanting more time. Yeah. Um, so if you... Have taken all of the cards from all three banded piles. Yeah. The game ends at the end of the round. If you have taken all of the cards from two of the three ship piles, ship piles. Yeah. um, (laughs) uh, Has any game game ended
3: like that ever, Jamie? Beg your pardon? Has any game ever ended like that for you?
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. we had um, we had one end with all three ship piles gone. Wow! Yeah,
3: I okay. was
4: trying one of the games we played. I, I was definitely trying to get the ship cards. There are big victory points
3: there to yeah. be grabbed, aren't there? But yeah, yeah well, the, you're
1: the just trying to get me to 20. say ship piles more, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs>
3: <laughs> what else have we got, Jamie? Uh,
1: if the location deck runs out of cards, and that one seems tremendously unlikely because there's yeah. quite a lot of cards there, yeah. uh, and if two or more rows in a player's city have been completely filled with new locations then they can choose yeah. to end the game.
3: Now, that's how we ended every game, isn't it, Matt? Yeah. Yep. And and the choosing bit is the interesting bit because if you make a quick mathematical guess uh, of who's got what around the table uh, and you're not in the front, then you don't choose to end the game.
1: That's right, which is, I think, kind of cool and quirky.
3: Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's good because if thematically you want to get back to that idea of... Um, you wouldn't try to um, stamp your authority over someone else who's building a city if your city wasn't better than it and you want to impress them that yours is going to be the new capital. Uh, so you would continue to build furiously while they did their yeah, own thing. Yeah,
1: that's right. Look, I built two rows of slums. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> not gra- so impressive, really, is it? <laughs> yeah. A great
4: example of, of the, the reason why you wouldn't do that is if you were going heavy into accumulating resources by buying up the mines or the quarries or the... Or the, the um, the lumber mills and filling your uh, two or more rows with those they're not worth any victory points to you so there's no reason why you would want to end the game at that point because you, they're not going to be worth anything to you at all yeah that's a good um, point so that you know you wouldn't worth, do it in that worth a lot sense. of resources but yeah. not worth a lot of victory points so that's points. a late game thing you're thinking of there i think accumulation of resources but but it's not even a very effective way of doing it because when you roll your dice each turn uh, you're assigning one dice that matches the color of the row to each row. Yeah. And once you've done it, and it lands on a particular spot. Now, this is where the dice manipulation happens. Depending on where it lands, um, you yep. might choose to take the resource, whatever is mm-hmm. happening underneath the dice, and, and activate that. So, for example, if, if you're just starting off, uh, you might get some wood. Yeah, we've made uh, all the jokes about that, that so yep. we'll leave it he alone. Says for now. No, more, no more jokes to be made about yeah, yeah. that at all, ever. But, uh, but, but but equally you might you might
3: let the, your dice might land on the wood pile, you might take that. Yep. but one of the things that is allowed you to do is like to sacrifice a dice and move your other dice that's on wood, which yep. you didn't want, uh left or right. So you might if you have to stone, you'd move it onto the stone one.
1: Yeah, to the I next one. I feel compelled to, to point next... out, guys. Yeah, yeah. I feel really compelled to point out Yeah, <laughs> It's episode 69. If there was ever a time for wood jokes, <laughs> now is it.
3: <laughs> yeah. We're, we're trying to be very adult about this, Jamie. It's difficult, isn't it? We'll, we'll, we can push on for now. but Well,
1: I, I wouldn't tell those jokes to children, David. <laughs> no, no. <laughs>
4: <laughs> when you were talking about uh, sacrificing, sacking a dice to move one of your others, yes. so you, you're not moving it to wherever you want on that row. You have to move it to an adjacent space. Uh, but you can sacrifice as many of the other dice to keep it moving along that row if you want uh, in hopes of getting the thing that you want. The and, it, options... and it doesn't...
3: Ever say, what, what struck me as bizarre is it doesn't reward you for getting a crap ton of stone at any one point in time. It's always right. You've always got to have a good mix of everything or yeah. a bigger mix. like So two of everything, three of everything, that would be a yep. good score. But just having, for example, six stone... You're not going to get anything. I don't think there's anything in the game that rewards you for having well, a, a whole the, heap of one. Uh, well, what?
1: actually, there, there is one or two things. Yeah. Is there? So, there's, for example, there's a statue that when you buy it, you can pay, I think it's up to three stone to get three extra victory points on the yeah. spot.
4: Ah. The other thing is you can buy, you, there's no limit on purchases. You can purchase as much as you have the resources to buy, to, to use, to spend, sorry. Um, so well, what are you, you going to get? You're going to get quarries if and stuff you like get, that right? well, in that scenario. Well, you get six uh, if you land on uh, five qu- uh, quarry spaces you end up with five resources you can buy yourself two quarries and then what happens is you that that final piece oh, yeah, of you stone you bank yeah. because you can only hold on to one of each resource each turn at the end of each turn yeah
3: so you could have you could have one of each resource and then the next round you could capitalize and, and jump into something yeah. big perhaps if, if the the go I guess go Dave,
1: around. as well the, the comparison is there with seven wonders where if you buy all the cards that make wood, it's not really going to help you very much. You need to get a good mix yeah, of resources yeah. in your city in the first place.
3: But there was that, there's that case like within Seven Wonders where early on in the game, you, you want to get things that are going to build your uh, give you more resources quicker. And then there's a breaking point where you want to stop doing that and start cashing in on uh, things that are going to get you massive victory points or... Uh, or military might or science might that's going to squash your opponent or win in a different way. Um, this has got a similar element to that, isn't it? I don't think you want to be – well, you don't. You don't want to be um, pumping your resources with those, with those cards that Matt was talking about, like your quarries and things or your, your yeah, wood mills. You, well,
1: sometimes you do. You sort of want to hit a critical mass where yeah. you're, you're either making enough resources to send ships out or you're um, making victory points directly.
3: But, yeah, you don't, want to be, you don't want to be, like, nearing the last couple of rounds of the game and you're still buying mills and quarries and stuff like that because they're useless to you then, really.
1: That's right, yeah.
2: yeah.
4: The distribution of the, the um, starting spaces is quite <coughs> interesting. Uh, all around the outside of the board, uh, the top row, bottom row, and down the left and right-hand side are all resources. So it's your stone, wood, and uh, iron. And then in the central uh, section, portion of the board... Uh, where all the uh, the victory points gain a victory point, uh, add one strength to your army, or re-roll the dice. So there are options in the middle there, but, but all but with the boards all being the same. I think um, the chance of of you rolling what you want uh, you is greatly in increased middle. if your... are um, if you're willing to sacrifice those inner dice to get the resources you want earlier on, which are on the, around the outside of the board. So you, you, you're probably more likely to uh, sacrifice getting a, a victory point so that you can get one of the, the iron that you need to get something that you want, you know. It, it's, That's it, true, yeah. And, and the army, the militia square is the same. You don't necessarily see that you're going to get any advantage of having one militia Dice there available because it's you can't two is the two is the minimum that you can use to attack mm. anything. Um, I think and, the
1: military thing is is really interesting too. Yeah, while you're while you're there, um, it's not it's, it's definitely something that's sort of missing from some of those other games in this mold. Um, the ability to actually directly attack someone and uh, and you actually get victory points for it. There's there's a, a solid build around. Making lots of military and just beating up your high, your opponent's high value stuff,
2: yeah. which yeah, which doesn't
1: c- even necessarily hurt them. Yeah, but it gets your points.
3: You could certainly uh, win the game just by getting a, a ton of victory points from just attacking other people's stuff. Jamie, you also had an interesting point about where you can place the cards that you the resources that you own because there are certain cards which aren't that great to land on but have an end of game uh, win. Yeah, for
1: example, there's one that I one that I sort of lent on a little bit in all yeah. the games I played. Just about um, was uh, cathedral. It's a, a point scoring building that scores points equal to the number of other point scoring buildings you've got in the same row.
3: Okay,
4: was that so, the 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 one with the pen the quill on it?
1: That's right. Yeah.
4: That was one of my
3: that was my points. There is there is tribal effects as well within this game, isn't there? For, and all of the location cards have a, a logo on the top left, and um, having type, yeah. having other cards of a similar tribe, just to borrow from Magic uh, terminology, uh, g- gains you an effect. Yeah, but well, like I, think, the- I think I think sorry, I think I think what you said though, Jamie, there was there was stuff like the cathedral card, um, which we realised would only score at the end of the game. Um, yep. because because there's, there's not much point in sticking that in the middle of the of the board or, you know, like in your two, three, no, four, no, five no, you definitely positions. want to put it on the edge so you've you got want, less
1: chance of rolling it.
3: Yeah, and then, you know, you probably want to be able to get off of it quickly as well if you did. So, um, yeah, yeah uh, so it doesn't get in the way of... Um, it doesn't reduce your chances if you want to shift a dice on that row left or right. You know, you don't want to only have the cathedral to land on, if that's clear enough. Yeah.
4: The other, the only other space on the original on the starting board is the traveler, which has the re-roll this die uh, ability. Now, that was like the first one. We would the over, first we would one. You're right. I was going to say the first one from my perspective. You overwrite with a with a new building is the traveler because what good is the re-roll this die is going to be for you if you've got no other building?
1: Oh, um, see, I always left it blank because it means that if you hit that space. You've got another chance to hit the building that you've built somewhere else on your row.
3: Yeah, so we were definitely covering that up at first because we're thinking, well, it's like it's like having a oh, this this gets me back to your all you guys over in Hursville loving the fog card. It's you know for magic, it's like it takes the spot of a good card. Fog uh, is the best I see the re-roll this. <laughs> I see re-roll this dice as a spot which takes the spot of a potentially a good resource or a good card.
1: It would eventually get covered up. But yeah. I would leave it to later just because it gives you that extra shot at hitting the thing you want.
4: The um, what one thing that did appear to me about appeal to me, sorry about this game, was the opportunity for combo play. Now you already alluded to the to the uh, having like buildings um, with the same matching icon. Then you got bonuses for having uh, in the same row buildings with the same icon there are those other opportunities where you can uh with the military in particular if you have the catapults or the uh, barracks it gives you the opportunity to increase your um your military might by just having those things in the same row in the same row so i think that was um that's a a good mechanic it didn't seem like we had
3: a lot of success uh, from doing that, do we? I mean, you, you had a game where you, you got yeah, a bit of military off. might happened? Yeah, um,
4: I, I did. And I pulled out... Uh, there was one I... I um, I'm trying to look at the cards to see what they were. J- Jamie um, was
3: reporting that uh, combo plays... You were saying that J- combo plays was something you really enjoyed about this game where we were struggling to sort of make that happen on a regular basis. Is that um, right, Jamie?
1: Luck of the
4: draw? <laughs> well, the blacksmith was a good, is a good example of what I'm talking about. All of your the abilities all of your army locations provide an additional fight, so if you've gone heavily into military, then uh, you get an additional fight for every single one of them so if you've got a lot on the board if you've got uh, so let's say six spaces and you've got a combined uh, military of 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 seven or eight or more, you can spend all of that by going and attacking multiple locations, mm-hmm. shutting down your opponent's ability for that I think, to, pro- to uh, be productive the next But it's reasonably turn.
3: conditional because a dice has to fall on your blacksmith to give you all That's all right. your army locations provide an additional... Uh,
1: or adjacent to your blacksmith, flight. and then you give yeah. up another die. Yeah, and so then you f-
3: shift, but then you're sacking a dice somewhere else to make that happen. So you've got to make that calculation. It's like, if I fully commit to military... Can I get a, a big hit on somebody or score a? It's, well, it's not really get scoring a big hit on someone. It's just like gaining a whole bunch of victory points from attacking their. Well, stuff.
4: that's it. But the bonus being that if you're attacking, so let's say, uh, let's say we're in a two-player game, um, and I use my military might to attack you directly, I can shut down as long as I can beat your defense rating. I can shut down multiple buildings on your in your city meaning that you don't get any advantage from them next turn if you land on them, forcing you to directly discard dice so that you have to move them from left uh, adjacent. Which is the combos
1: know. aren't just in your, your win conditions either, though. No. One of the ones that I saw most commonly used was people buying the storehouse and the marketplace.
4: Yeah. yeah the storehouse
1: lets you pay one resource to get three of that resource, and then the marketplace lets you pay one or two of a resource And for each one you pay, you get two of another resource. Yeah. So you could turn basically, you could turn one resource into two of everything. Yeah. um, Between those two, if you can hit them both, and that's worth giving up a couple of dice to make sure that you're on them as well, because six resources is a ship.
3: Yeah. I was going to say that gets into the ships, which we really didn't, we didn't hit that sort of zone, did we, mate?
1: I I
4: managed to uh, take out. I think it was all the level five victory point trade ships or most of them at one point, because I was doing um, exactly that. I was using the resources that I had um, and then funneling them into the marketplace. I think it was the marketplace. uh, Trading two to get three, and that gave me the ability to get the trade ship, and then still have one of each resource ready for the next round. So I was already starting in front by having those extra resources. Hmm.
1: Yeah, see? Cool. Yeah. All right. One Um, of the things that I can't say how much I like enough is, and it's a silly little thing, it's a novelty, but I love having individual player boards, and there's no central board. It's just each player has their own. Yeah. It's cool. It's a board game.
3: This is mine. (laughs) 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 yeah it's, it's uh, that it's a non communal way of having a board game isn't it? It's like yeah I'll have my own board over here i'll let you know how it goes
1: it just feels a bit different
2: you
3: know yeah yeah no, that is true i didn't kind of i mean it's obvious, but I didn't quite register that that's a good point hey um just before we get into the you know the real subjective how we feel about it and any kind of backwards and forwards about uh, about the game, I uh, do we just want to run over some of the expansions that are coming out for this map
4: yeah. So there are a few. Um, this game, as you said, I think came out in 2015. Since then, there have been uh, three expansions. In one, one case, in 2015, there was the Embassy card, which just came out as an individual...
1: I think uh, that was a Gen Con given away with yeah, yeah, purchases yeah. of the game. Then yeah.
4: there was Dice City Crossroads in, uh, that has, is being released this year. I don't think it is quite released. And then All That Glitters, which is another... Um, all the
1: Glitters is definitely out.
4: Yeah, okay. So that's the one that is out. And Crossroads is coming. So, yeah. So already, there are already two expansions in the game. The
3: Crossroads one isn't related to Dead of Winter at all, is <laughs> no, it? No, speaking of oh, okay. which, that's got its own uh, expansion coming. Yeah, um,
4: yeah so the, I think there's definitely scope to expand this. Um, I... Want to compare this i don 't want to compare it to imperial settlers, but I feel that there's in... a
1: definite feeling there right yeah that was one of the first things that we said as well
4: and that's everything from the art art design to the um, to the theme and the the in a sense the gameplay, um, even though you know di- yep. um, imperial settlers doesn't use the dice, both um, are
1: building cities, but yeah the the actual mechanics of doing it are quite different yeah.
4: Uh, I think Imperial Settlers does, the, does it better. However, where you said that this is a, very much the gateway game, I would definitely agree that Dice City is a gateway that might lead into Imperial setters, Settlers. Settlers oh, later yeah, on, yeah, yeah. If you're up for a little bit more, this of is a the
3: Duplo, and <laughs> the <Dublo>. Imperial <laughs> Settlers is more of your, your technical Lego. Is that what you would say? Oh.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't say technical Lego. It's it's probably just regular Lego. Space, <laughs> space
4: Lego.
1: Technical Lego is like Caverna. All
4: right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah you're, you're right. Yeah. Or Agricola. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So I, that's the comparison. I think um, that I that I instantly make is that I enjoyed Imperial Settlers, uh, but for different reasons than this. I think it had a lot of the same themes. And I think for that reason, I don't, I didn't engage with Dice City as much. It's very—they call it a dice crafting game, uh, but I, I, didn't really find, I didn't really agree necessarily that it was a dice crafting. I thought, thought more that it was worker placement. <clears throat> well, look, you, you got it with with theme. I found
3: you very much head down in your own world and you're doing your own thing, but the theme of the game didn't come through. For for me, you yeah. know, and um, and that you know, like I, I know Jamie Jamie's played it and enjoyed it, but the you know the the, the theme for it is like um like you know we were, we were talking off air about we'll, we'll play a game if we struggle with it we'll give another shot we'll give, and maybe a third yeah. shot and if it's not working bang we're playing XCOM we're playing <laughs> XCOM very early in this month and and that's it what what the comparison is is. That, for Matt and I, at least, and uh, our gaming group, uh, is that um, you, know, you, play, you play a game like XCOM, you're instantly into the theme of it. Like, playing Monstrous last month, you're instantly into the theme of it, you know what you're doing, and it's just that little bit of atmosphere that isn't tangible and it isn't in the box, but you bring it and you can imagine yourself involved in this world. I didn't get any of that with this. It was really just a matter of being doing the chore of, of getting the cards and putting them somewhere and, and have I won yet or has someone else won yet. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that well, maybe sounds a little bit harsh, but um, I, I had, in short, I had problems engaging with the theme.
1: If you're going to use words like "sure," it's going to sound harsh, sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, I, uh, I mean, Arkham Horror is probably my favourite game, so oh, when you talk about theme, you high know. High five,
3: Jamie.
1: <laughs> I'm all over theme. <laughs> but um, that was a great high five considering the distance. I oh, know. Um, d- d-
4: <laughs>
1: but... Um, I uh, I liked Dice City. I, you know, I do have a soft spot for a Euro. And um, yeah. and one of the things I really liked about this game is that my group, generally a game is lucky to get a second play because between us we've got so many things that we want to get to the table.
3: Yeah, yeah that's uh, a real test,
1: that, right? That's a surprise. But this actually, like, it's got two plays in the same night and then one the next week as well. Um, which, is, which is really good because it's, it's easy. It's sit down, it's rolls and dice, and yeah, your head is in your own little space, but if you build the military, then you're also looking at other people, and yeah. if somebody builds military, you're also looking at them, and uh, there, there is a bit of back and forth in there, which I think is an, a nice little addition to what is otherwise a pretty straightforward Euro. Mm. Um, I also really liked the fact that I had this set up as a demo game in the store, and the number of people who came over, and I would give them the rules explanation, and they just got it, yeah. and sat down and started rolling dice and building and doing their thing, because it's in that wheelhouse, isn't it? Like It's got bits of Settlers, it's got bits of Seven Wonders. It's a really straightforward game to get into, and, uh, and dice are just great. I mean, <laughs> I you, you know, you is have there the anything better the in gaming than dice?
3: You have hit the nail on the head there, Jamie. And I, I do think it does lend itself to having, if you've got a, a game, a champion of the game, just to ease you into it a little bit. We had a few things where we found ourselves looking into the rule book, looking at the um, the reference sheet, and then going to the internet for a for a fact somewhere. It was just a few a few cards where we we couldn't quite pass what the text was so if you've got someone there that has played it a few times they can probably get you into it a lot quicker
1: yeah um, it's and it's a not like a huge that.
3: leap to take
1: it's one of the advantages of your friendly neighborhood game store isn't it that's it um, yeah. <laughs> no plug intended yeah <laughs> uh, interesting you should mention that what was the, the other one that you did the unboxing of the kickstarter one whose name i keep forgetting
4: nova cry nova cry yeah. i played
1: that the other day and i really i quite enjoyed it it's, it is a good thematic, spacey game. Yeah. Um, but one of the really frustrating things is that it's very poorly uh, codified. So, so, you know, what, what card overrides what other card and, and how abilities work with each yeah. other isn't really that clear. That, and even that when that we went to the internet, people hadn't answered questions on, you know, what mm. was going on.
3: Well, as you say, in, along the similar theme there, uh, we were thinking with, this, with Dice City, a really simple thing that could have made it so much easier would be to have on your player board to have, say, white borders on the locations and on the cards that you place, they have black borders so you can actually see which cards are where uh, uh, and if you're, if an opponent has almost got two rows. But I suppose that also fits in that uh, idea that you can't quickly tell what your opponent's got, like these victory points are hidden and all that sort of stuff. But we thought well, that would be such know, in a the simple thing.
1: Your responsibility to look at what your opponent's doing.
3: But yeah, you're reaching over and sliding, you know, pushing their board around. Is that a card or is it the board? You know, slidey, slidey sort of behaviour. it, well, it seems like you know, an easy get fix.
1: Get your Fitbit out and take a step around the table, Dave.
3: <laughs> <laughs> hey, monstrous is the one where you get steps on your Fitbit. That's the, that's the, what that game's about. <laughs>
4: yeah. I um I had a hard time uh, considering. Player inter that there was much player interaction. Even with the example you gave of the military, where you're attacking uh, other players' buildings, uh, I, I really didn't feel that there's much interaction there. You know, there was no conversation happening. There was no like, "Oh, you're attacking this. Um, why would you do that? Why are you attacking?" You know, there's no yeah, sort attack of, him kind of yeah, thing. yeah. Th- there it's was like... none of that, and uh, so I found that that. There wasn't much player interaction. Um, my turns, I I felt I was largely on my own. Yes, I considered what other players were, were had on their on their boards, but I found that I had made that gets my back decisions to that theme really a little click. bit
3: Though, as well, because you weren't immersed in the theme. You know, it gets back to that. I think most of the chat that we had, we just just got in dis like thrown out of the game, and we started found and we we're talking about what 's on Netflix and yeah. that sort of stuff yeah. you know. but uh,
4: you know, that's us and however, yeah. even though we might have some criticisms about the the game, and it might not be our cup of tea, it is certainly other people 's and there are there it 's a great gateway game there 's no way i wouldn 't pull this out and play it if I was introducing players to a to a nice simple game for a you know for a, for a fun uh absolutely 40 minutes yeah. or so you know i would definitely pull this out as a game to and show you
3: and you players. sort of had a bit of a theory about like and, and that's what it's all about isn't it it's like you and i seem to like a different sort of game yeah or we, we seem to gravitate towards certain games and feel happier with certain games yeah. uh and and jamie's got a, a, a different subset and of course we cross over here and there and that yeah. and that's cool and
4: i um i i like my ameritrash uh yeah. <laughs> because the, for me theme and story uh are everything they're, they're engaged they're the things that make a game engaging to me um you know david you you're a little you lean a little bit more towards the artistic style and the graphic design of the game and, things and, and the narrative good, and, and i the love a good story yeah. like yeah. jamie i think you're more uh, you orient more towards mechanics gameplay, and the euro <laughs> type things you know don't
1: you, would you agree with that uh, a lot of my friends would laugh to hear you say that um, <laughs> <laughs> now look it's it 's interesting i I can see the patterns like i 'm good at maths. I can do the the whole you know there 's the the victory path in a euro yeah. But they 're not the kind of games that I prefer The kind of games that i prefer i 'll give you a good example. I was teaching my son to play Elder sign on the weekend yeah. and um, he uh, he went through the characters and decided he was going to be the gangster. And we're like, okay, cool. You get this, you get a random item to start with. What does he pull out? The Tommy gun. I that's, was like, this is automatically the best game of Elder Son we're ever going to play. Yeah. <laughs> because you know the gangster's got the Tommy gun. Yeah. Um. And and I love that thematic connection. You know, I love storytelling and narrative in a game. Um. But I think if you don't back it up with some good mechanics, then I've seen a lot of game, a lot of games that are just really bad stories.
2: Yeah.
3: I'm 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 exactly the same, Jamie, Uh, but I'm I'm aware of my weakness in appraising a game there where, you know, if I'm the gangster and I get the Tommy gun, I'll go a lot further into a bad game with bad mechanics because I'm like, this is cool, you know, I'm this guy and I'm doing this and this is my mission. And then maybe two or three games in, I'll go, but hang on a minute, this game stinks, you know?
1: Yeah. (laughs) It'll take me a lot longer For me, you know, if if I'm the gangster with the Tommy gun and the Tommy gun doesn't kill anything... Yeah, I'm disengaged
3: straight away. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean it's it's all about I mean even for you know people listening to this, it's like a bit it's good to identify what you like in a game because these things jump out at you when a yeah. new release comes out and you know you listen to us talking about it, you go, "Those are the things that I like about a game." And even if these guys all don't like it, that's okay because I know Jamie won't play that, Matt won't play it, David won't play it, but what they're describing is right up my alley and, and that's that's
4: a game for me. Yeah, there's not. There's very rarely have I ever come across a game where I would say I would turn my nose up at it and not play and not give it even a, a chance. Oh, let, let give know? us a
3: chance. What can we? What can we come <laughs> up with?
4: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure yeah, we could I, find one. I,
1: I usually give everything a chance before I turn my nose up at it. <laughs>
4: yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's the way you got to be. I mean, yeah. however you may be strongly into a particular type of theme or you may like a particular uh, mechanic family and, and you do then gravitate towards those games. But it just means that they're the sort of games that you'll have in your own collection. But if you're going over to a games night at a friend's place or at your local game store or whatever, you're not necessarily going to have access to the types of games that you like um, and you're, but that's, considering, that's a cool thing, you're considering the group as a whole. Yeah. I think a lot of games groups... Um,
1: it is a cool thing, but it's also a compromise sometimes yeah. when you, you do have something you love. Yep. Mm. Um, the best example I can come up with is uh, I've got this game in my library. It took me like four years to find someone to play it with me. Um, it's called Basket Boss, <laughs> and it's, it is a basketball team-building game. Right. Where you you are literally you're drafting out players, then they play matches against each other, and then you go back to the draft and that 's the game and it 's not a great game it 's kind of fun i don 't mind it, but it took me four years to find someone to sit down and play it with me because the theme is so ridiculously narrow, that <laughs> if you're not into basketball and board games, yeah. it's probably not going to be for you.
3: I know, because I'm sitting here thinking, that all sounds all right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I was thinking, there's been a
4: slew of uh, baseball games that have come out at the moment. bottom of the ninth. Um, um, there was another one about baseball in the future i can't yeah yeah
1: um, i'm trying to think what that's yeah. called so i, I mean it's like deck Building game
4: yeah yeah so i i don't tend to move towards that i mean because i'm not i'm not intrigued at all by the theme of baseball however i could be missing out by doing that i could be missing out on some really good mechanical games that um while the theme might not be engrossing or engaging, the actual mechanics within the game themselves can be the engaging and engrossing part of it. Yes, yeah, so I'm it's, never going to play those games. <laughs> <It's the> way, <laughs> it, it all comes down to systems. And if the you, you come across a system that uh, resonates with you, you're going to look for games <clears> that have those similar sort of systems
3: but that gets us back to you know bit of a shout out to our sponsor good games I and mean, that's what it's all about get down to your organized play yeah. good game store sit down yeah take a game that you want to play but give a chance to some of these other games because that's how you know like you've you've introduced yeah. me to games i've played games you matt that i would yep. never play otherwise and i've walked away going bloody hell that was brilliant and i've bought a game that i would never buy in a million years yeah. if i would have stayed in my own little corner of the world and that's what organized play is all about and and there's a ton of awesome games out there.
4: Yeah, I played a, a number, quite a few games with family Lau um, whenever I catch them down. Oh, the Le Laos. Yeah, yeah. Family Lao And they're, they're always having, uh, they always have some different game. You know, from week to week, there's a different game that they're playing. Yeah. And um, I don't think I've come across a bad one that they've played yet. So.
2: Well,
3: as engaging as this conversation is. <laughs> Todd Rowland is uh, in Mobile, Alabama, and I will practice Mobile, Mobile, mobile I don't know how to say mobile. it. Mobile. Mobile, Alabama. It uh, always
1: sounds like, you know, it's the town that's on the move, right?
3: <laughs> but we, I think we should dial him up. Um, he's, he's Mr. AEG, and he'd be, he'd be a good guy to uh, get in on this conversation right now. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it.
0: We should introduce ourselves, yes.
3: guys. Sorry, Todd. I was just uh, dropping a microphone on the iPad that you're speaking through, so...
0: <laughs> oh no problem. I am actually speaking into one as well.
3: So, <laughs> oh, good stuff. Yeah. So Jay- Jamie's over on the east coast of Australia. We're on the west coast of Australia, and we've been practicing. It's Mobile, Alabama. Alabama is that That's right?
0: correct? Right. Yes, Mobile. Mobile. Not mobile.
3: How does it? How does that come to happen? Why isn't it? Why? Why is it? Because Mo- we had
0: the name first.
2: <laughs> is that right? Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, well it's 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 the same thing just you know the um my my father grew up in Missouri and uh, they have a city that is spelled just like the Egyptian city of of Cairo yeah. C A I R O but it's but it, it's pronounced Cairo
3: k right.
0: And that's the proper pronunciation
3: is Cairo. row I, I had a very long conversation with uh, one of spon- the sponsors, uh, Good Games, for the podcast. And one of the owners of the, of the franchise is, is American. And I had one of those long conversations where it was like, he was talking about Michigan. And, I, and mm-hmm. he was saying, no, no, it's pronounced Michigan. And I said, Michigan? And he goes, no, no, Michigan. And it just sounded like to me, <laughs> the same we thing. were saying the same word for about <laughs> five minutes. And I just couldn't get it right. So I was in pure, pure terror of saying mobile for a long while.
1: Mobile, sounds it, it makes sense, doesn't it? Because, you know, you have an automobile, you don't have an mo, a automobile. mobile.
3: Hmm. And, and what we haven't done so far, I mean, we've interviewed uh, quite a few people now, and um, we haven't had a, a, a cool intro uh, ever. We just sort of just blend into what we've just been talking about. So I pressed record when we sort of connected, so... I think we've started. <laughs> unless,
1: unless really? you have okay, a, well, this is great. How unless
3: you have a, a way, you know, Todd, do you have a way you like to enter a room? You know, are you a, you know, a sharp suit uh, and uh, dramatic music I, kind I, of guy? I
0: prefer, I prefer um, the fireworks intro oh, um, and then Super running bomb? down, slapping hands with the crowd as I go through and <laughs> jump up into the ring.
3: Well, uh, I don't know what we've got for you. We might be able to turn on the Metallica pinball machine that Matt and I have got sitting next to. That's got a lot of bells and whistles on it. And, yeah.
0: Oh, there we go.
3: Not much good for an audio podcast.
4: <laughs> yeah. Mm. Uh, Todd, I, I guess I've I've got my first question. Um, okay. Uh, delves a little bit into your origin story in terms of uh, your own personal introduction to gaming as as a hobby. Um, sure. You know, we all uh, we all have. Uh, stories from our past, the, the things that got us into gaming. Is there anything in your background that that uh, brought was you towards the gaming? The
3: and first sh- moment of yeah. gaming.
0: Uh, yeah. Gosh. Um, so, in my earliest days, um, I used to play games on the Commodore 64. Oh, I love that.
2: Yeah.
0: And... I was when I was learning to read, and my parents had got me some text adventures on there, because that's pretty much what you had, was text adventures. If you hooked up the tape deck to it, you might be able to load, you know, a a knockoff version of Like uh, Zork or something like that. You know. But, uh, so I was playing those, and they were sort of, you know, uh, choose-your-own-adventure-y, text-based RPG kind of games. I remember distinctly one about Dracula, where you were going to Dracula's castle and looking for him? That was when I was really young, and I'm talking really yeah. young. After that, in elementary school, was when I found Dungeons and Dragons. The local library actually had a set of the Red Box. Wow! And That's so cool that library. sort of introduced me to that.
4: So when was that? Was that the eighties uh, nineties?
0: Oh, that was the that was the
1: eighties. Yeah.
0: I was still in elementary like, uh,
1: school then. D&D is demonism time, isn't it?
0: Uh, not exactly. <laughs> Funny enough, you know, I, I live in the South. I grew up in the South, and I never heard that growing up my entire life. <laughs> I never actually even knew about that whole meme yeah. until I was an adult. And I'm like, really? Because that's definitely, that's definitely the kind dead.
3: of story that we got sold to us in Australia. It was like, in America, Dungeons & Dragons, you, you can't play that in some areas because that's just real bad, you know? So that's that's interesting to hear from you.
0: Yeah. yeah I, I, I never encountered it. So. Yeah, <laughs> But, uh, so that was elementary. And then as I got into high school, um, was when I started playing magic and things like that. Yeah. And I went to game masters, which was a game store in Memphis, Tennessee, cause that's where I lived close to at the time. And, I got involved in a star Wars RPG, the old West end D six system.
2: Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. It was great. Cause one out of every six things you do, you just completely fail. Um, <laughs> it was awesome. Um, and I played with an awesome group of people. Mike Webb was among them. He's now the VP of marketing at Alliance and, um, Corey is working there too. And several other people who've gone on to other companies, uh, played in that group originally and i played with them all the way through college that was also when i got into legend of the five rings Woo-hoo! when it first came
2: out <laughs> whole, whole yeah, enthusiasm, we, were, Jamie. we were
0: we were playing our star wars game and Corey, who was <clears throat> one of the players of it actually introduced me to it he sat down and tossed me one of the decks and said have you seen this yet and i said no and so we started playing and that was how that all began so I played Legend of the Five Rings for quite a while, got involved in the community, uh, did playtests, all that stuff, and then Warlord came out. and Sager I the sort Storm. Of, <laughs> but yeah, I sort of jumped whole cloth into it. Um, I really got into it, I got involved in the playtest and development, I started up the first community forum for it, um, and, and all that fan type stuff, and after doing that for a couple of years... I was in college at the time, and actually, no, I was just out of college. I graduated. I was working at a biotech company in Memphis, Tennessee, while my wife was still finishing pharmacy school, and I kind of hated the job. I I didn't hate the job. I hated the fact that the company wasn't moving anybody. Yeah, Um, It was one of those things where there's tons of positions to apply for, but we're never going to take anyone internally. (laughs) Right. So I kind of got fed up with it and I went to Gen Con and I took my resume with me just on a lark. And I left it with John Zinzer at the show and said, You know, I played your stuff a lot. You know who I am. Uh, if there's ever any, you know, job positions, let me know. So I went home and about two months later, I think it was October. Um, I got an email from John offering me uh, the position to manage Warlord.
3: And I, bet, and I bet that two months was about a week and a half after you go and screw that guy. I've, you know, <laughs> I gave him my referral. <laughs> no, actually, I,
0: you ignored know, me. I, I really went up there with no expectations. <laughs> right? I, I didn't anticipate any response. So when it came, it, it was... It was pretty uh, shocking. You know, yeah. the, the funny story about it is without going down a rabbit hole, the funny story about it was I had sort of reached my I'd finally really reached my point with this company I was at. And I called my my parents because they lived relatively close by and asked them if they could meet me for lunch that day. And when I took my lunch break, we went out to a little chicken restaurant and I was yeah. talking to them and I told them my my plan. And I just said, look, you know, I'm I'm fed up with this company. If I don't get any sort of movement in it by December, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave. I'm going to find something. I'm forcing myself to find something else. And, of course, my dad, you know, my dad grew up in, you know, 1940s yeah. farm country, literally had no solid. power and no running water when he was young, um, looked at me dead in the face and said, no, you're not. <laughs> like, <laughs> you don't just quit. <laughs> that's, not, that,
3: that's not when you want to say, Dad, I'm going into games. <laughs> right. It's well, not, that's so not going to work. After I
0: had that conversation with them, that's when I went back to the office and that email was waiting on me.
3: Wow, that's yeah that's it fantastic. was that
0: day that's and tear so, jerking right
3: that's you you must have been almost like in tears just going this this could be this is what I want to do.
0: I'll admit I was in shock for a little bit. I yeah. really did not believe that email was there. I forwarded it to my private email right away <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. was like, so is that the in moment- case it disappears you know
4: <laughs> is that the moment you chose to uh leave gracefully or uh, in a blazing yeah.
0: No, no. I definitely left gracefully. Yeah. Um, I went home and told my wife that that <clears throat> I had received the offer and that it was out in California. And after she finished crying for a little while, she agreed to go. <laughs> well, she didn't because want to move. She was not thrilled about moving across the country. Uh, oh
3: boy. Uh, hey, well, AEG. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, I've seen the logo for years. Played all of the games. And only now, because before we talk to you, I've looked it up and it's Alderac Entertainment Group. So who are the who are these Alderacs, Alderacs and have they been entertained yet?
0: <laughs> We're still trying. Yeah. We haven't gotten work from their people yet. Um, Alderac is actually the name of the world that John Zinser's original D&D campaign was set in.
3: Right. Cool. Uh,
0: he still has a briefcase with all of his old maps.
3: Yeah. And-
0: and uh, character sheets and everything from back in the late 70s.
3: Hey, there's a, there's a great, that's
0: where the name originates from.
3: Yeah. There's a, there's a great tip for that, probably for mostly for Australian listeners. Um, I've got all of my original D&D uh, maps and things, and I keep them up in the loft, which is in, in our summers it gets incredibly hot. Hey, you know that uh, aged paper <laughs> you kind of look you want yeah. for your maps where you pour tea over it and put yeah. it in the oven for a bit?
4: I've made many of them.
3: 20 years in the loft. Beautiful.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They're mature.
3: Yeah, they're fantastic-looking maps now. They're a bit rat-eaten. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) So, look, Dave was speaking of uh, you know he's seen the logo on all the games, and there are so many now. What do you think is your greatest success in gaming since you've come to the industry?
0: Um, my greatest success has probably been, without a doubt, Smash Up. Um, Smash Up is. Our biggest game choice. right now, and uh, just the the fantastic acceptance of it and growth of it among the game community has just been astounding. It, it it has sort of bucked the trend of most games where you know you have a game come out and your sales spike, and then each expansion does almost as good, but not quite as the last one, as people begin to sort of taper off. Yeah. Yet Smash Up has continued with every expansion for the last three, four years to outsell the ones before it. Well, surely It's Your Choice and then eventually, it's got to be the most popular one, right? And eventually draft the prior games up to it over time. So.
1: <laughs> Smash Up, It's Your Choice has got to be the most popular one, theoretically, right?
0: It is. It is. You know, Smash Up and Love Letter have both been huge successes for us. Uh, but as far as, you know, just the huge widespread appeal... Uh, Smash Up is off the charts and I consider that one, now Paul came up with the idea and, and it's, he's the designer but I consider that one one of my successes because my whole vision the, the look of it, the characters, the art the whole feel of it has all been, you know I mean it's, it, I'm, I'm not bragging but that's that's all me right, so yeah. that's why I consider that one a big success it. I do
1: love the way that whenever a new expansion is coming you, you drop little hints on Board Game Geek and everyone starts guessing and it's a it's a really good uh, community building a- exercise with that game.
0: Oh well, we have a lot of fun with it because there's tons of jokes we can make with it, and the you know the smash up Facebook group is ridiculously active um, compared to say the the normal AEG one. Uh, there we're getting hundreds of shares on every post, which. Is just mind-boggling compared to some of the other stuff. But, uh, you know, and Smash Up is fun, too, because I can come in every morning and make dumb jokes and references to old cartoons and movies and stuff. Yeah. And it's super fun. You know, I had some other good things happen. You know, Legend of the Five Rings, uh, when I took it over after Warlord, it was on a bit of a downturn. And then we created the Race for the Throne. And uh, that was a big team effort, and that one really turned the game around for a number of years. Um, and that one went over really well. Um, I wouldn't have been able to do that one without Brent Keith. he was the he was the math mind behind making that game work, but yeah um, that so was when, another big success.
3: so when you see a a first year potential new game, uh, what are the features that excite you most about it though you know
0: so it's funny we we have a great mix of talents at the company and everybody seems to look at each prototype that comes in differently and smash up's a great example of this because when we looked at smash up people like mark wooten um brian and some of them they're instantly analyzing the numbers and game breaking and trying to power game it you know that's immediately what they hone in on you know where is this game broken what can i do to win faster than you etc
3: yeah, so Mark, the Mark moment I on... sat
0: down with the prototype of Smash Up, my mind just instantly saw the box and the characters on it and, you know, what the card could look like. I didn't even care whether – it's funny. My mind goes down a path. I don't even ask, is the game any good? Yeah. I just hear the concept, and I'm like, holy cow, that would look awesome, and, you know, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so...
3: But that's very much the, the role that you're in, though, isn't it? So it's like producer of the game. You go, that would look, that sounds great. I could get this guy, this guy, this guy, and we can make this completely rock, right?
0: Exactly, exactly. I'm a project manager over stuff, so um, my job is getting the best people for it. So in a lot of ways, um, it's not even so much me that's doing it. It's just knowing who to use on it.
4: Does that mean looking when you're looking <clears> at the art direction and you take a look at examples of other games and you look at the art design that would suit the game that you've currently got in development and uh, not necessarily borrow, but um, uh, adapt or uh, incorporate those sort of designs. And when I look at Dice City, for example, um, I'm immediately reminded of... uh, portals game uh imperial settlers now it's a very similar sort of art design do you is that uh, an influence that you would say or
0: well so it's funny because i had imperial settlers i had a copy of it um before we started on dice city but i had not actually played it yet funny enough i think that imperial settlers and my idea for for dice city kind of originated in the same way because they both sort of look like those handheld city building games yeah because that was originally my inspiration was those the little, you know, games where you see the building and the building has a character all its own. You know, the the blacksmith's building looks like an anvil and the quarry looks like a big shovel. And that was what I was originally thinking about. And then after I did it, I stepped back and I looked at Imperial Cellars. And I'm like, oh. They look kind of the same, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it was not an intentional thing. I actually like Imperial Settlers a lot. I've gotten to play it since then. Um, but I think our inspiration originated, possibly originated from the same place on those. And uh, sometimes with games, it's just the artist. Like,
2: yeah,
0: I had seen, you know, I had worked with a guy named Jay House on a game before, and then when our new game coming out this year, Fantasy came up as a, you know, fantasy monster fighting dice game, I instantly thought of him, and I just said, I want him to illustrate this. It's like, I, I want this game to have his look, and I kind of just handed it to him and said, make a bunch of monsters. And that was pretty much the art direction, right? Make yeah. a bunch of monsters. And he just went nuts.
3: I artists would love that. Just that was one of the best. <laughs> there's a there's a local artist um that we know here um that uh just that's all he does he just makes monsters all day long (laughs) hey uh, i know that aeg gets a lot of submissions i i I read around you know some of your earlier interviews that you've done um but what should a burgeoning designer do to grab your attention this you know today you know uh, in a professional (laughs) manner
0: Yeah, we do get a lot of submissions. You're definitely right there. In fact, we got to a point we had to begin sort of backing off of them because we weren't getting responses back to people in a timely enough manner for a while. So generally what we prefer, assuming if we're at a show and we have time set aside for review, that's great. You know, sit us down, play, you know, show us what you've got. And that's generally the best way because that that sort of – Inherent excitement that the designer has for their game tends to rub off while you're playing it. Yeah, Uh, It's much better than sort of a cold pitch um, via online or something like that. However, I will say that we get a lot of good submissions online. And what I always recommend to people is if they're going to do that, um, create a little one-pager, you know, like an um, elevator the,
3: pitch sort of thing. Yeah, a little cell sheet, sheet
0: that yeah. that tells us why we're gonna care about this. Yeah. You know, if you have to borrow art, if you have to go grab a picture of Luke Skywalker and use it to communicate your point, that's fine. It doesn't matter, right? We're not looking for final product here. Yeah. But you know, get that across and then if, if that catches our interest, then we're gonna ask you for, you know, the full game and things to try out there. But it's all in that the biggest advice I can give to the designer is learn that that two minute pitch because when you're shopping for a game, when you're at a store, if you're not specifically going to get a game, each cover on the shelf gets about two minutes at most, if that much, and, you know, pick it up, look at the back, put it, put it down. So if you can catch us and get us interested in the concept that quickly, um, then it's definitely got a much better chance of us taking a second look and seeing if it's something we'd be interested in. Yeah, well
3: that, that makes sense. I mean, I mean, the whole—I think people use the term elevator pitch a lot, but you know, just imagining getting into a lift—it's you, it's Todd Roland. You're in an elevator. You've got between floor three and floor eight. You go bang. I've got this <laughs> idea. You know, you, you got to have that, don't you? You like that? You
0: third, you do have, to have that. And funny enough, that's exactly what Sage and I had. Uh, literally, that's what Sadie and I had, he pitched Love Letter on an elevator. Wow. Wow. And it was that impressive in that short amount of time. Uh, Even got to play the first game of it in the elevator.
3: (laughs) And that spawned the whole Tempest thing, hasn't it? Or or was that sort of world there before?
0: The world had been there, and we put Love Letter into it. And funny enough, we really liked Love Letter a lot, and we thought it was a great game, but we had no idea... At the time, how big it actually would get, and what all it would spawn with, you know, so many micro games coming. But yeah, and it's funny because we did the Tempest games for a while. They were they were sort of our sophomore efforts, I would say. They're good games. I still like playing them, but but they were still among our early designs.
3: Uh, you can't go past Love Letter. I mean, that's the one that I take to, you know, I, I work in a mental health clinic with uh, social workers, OTs, doctors, that sort of stuff. If, you know, they'll say, David, bring in a, bring in a game on uh, Friday afternoon, you know, we might have a bit of time, we'll play it. I take in Love Letter because I can get everybody in, everyone can have fun in a real short space of time and it's, and it's gold, you know, it's just a bag of gold.
0: It really is. It's It's been really great. And uh, we've been able to do so many neat things with it, working with some licenses and different versions that we had not before. And those have been a lot of fun.
4: How did the licenses come about? We Did you, uh, as AEG, approach to, to seek out these licenses? Or did it work the other way around? Did they approach you?
0: Actually, we partnered with Cryptozoic because Cryptozoic already had the licenses. The licensing is a... Licensing is a tricky business, and there's a lot of people who already know each other going on in in that business. And since the folks at Cryptozoic already had these licenses and access to them, it made it much easier for us because we don't we previously have not pursued licenses in any major way. Uh, Way back in the day, I think we had an RPG for for Stargate and and some things like that. But, yeah. but on the whole, we've sort of been our own IP company. So we had not invested a lot of time and effort in, you know, rubbing shoulders and shaking hands with, with the right people to make those things happen. So we chose to just go with some people who had, and so we partnered with them on this, which was a really good partnership. Uh, we were able to do adventure time, Batman, yeah. uh, Hobbit. We've got Archer coming out this year Oh wow! and a lot more, you know, interesting ones. So it, it, it was it was a neat way for us to sort of get our feet wet in the licensing game, without, you know, having to flail about trying to get one on our own right away.
4: Yeah, no, it's great, and I think we'll look forward to it, especially Archer. Um, that's that's a very that is a real big cult following. So yeah, look forward to that one. It is
0: a it is a funny version of the game. <laughs> yeah. I can say that
4: too. Have uh, Todd, have you got anything? Uh, any game design settling around in the back of your own mind anything that you'd like to see brought forward one day?
0: I do actually I always come up with little ideas for them, but over the years I've kind of come to realize that I'm my talent is not game design. <laughs> I don't uh, I don't have the patience
2: to <laughs>
0: sit and work through all the iterations of everything i'd like to at some point try to do that just to see but every time Mm -hmm. i've tried it's always been sort of a false start but i have a lot of ideas and so i i tend to sometimes contact other designers and we talk about hiring them on you know here take this idea and make it happen
4: (laughs) (laughs) so who would you throw your ideas at
0: um i let's see i've talked to people like uh, david short um, he's very impressed. A lot of his stuff he's coming out with is, has been really impressive lately. Um, we've worked with uh, Eric Lang before. And um, and then internally, you know, some of the folks like uh, Brian and Mark, who I've thrown stuff at. And then little things like with Smash Up, yeah. since it's on a small scale, like I can create a new faction for Smash Up and toss it to Paul. And sometimes <laughs> I can rarely. But sometimes they happen.
4: So... <laughs> so hang on, was the little ponies one yours?
0: No, the ponies one was not mine. But the <laughs> idea was. In fact, this is the funny thing. Um, and I do kind of, you know, I laugh about this one because when Smash Up first came out, we had just put out the game and we were working on the first expansion, Awesome Level 9000. Yeah. And I told everyone, I said, we need to make a really, really girly set. And they all just sort of stared at me. And I said, no, I'm talking like off the cliff. Like, just press the (laughs) pedal and don't let off. Just go completely um, crazy pink, purple, stars, you know, glitter, everything. And John thought it was a horrible idea. And our sales manager at the time, Sean, thought it was a horrible idea. (laughs) Uh, But I kept it in my back pocket. And I talked to Paul about it. Paul thought it was awesome, right? He thought it would be hilarious. And after a couple years rather than ask anymore i just did it i just said hey our next set is pretty pretty smash up go <laughs> and i contacted the artist we made the set and <laughs> pretty pretty smash up <laughs> was the number one selling expansion by a massive margin <laughs>
3: but it makes so much, it makes so much sense though because you've got uh, generationally wise you've got people now that uh like it, probably we're all the same kind of age and we're all, we've all got kids and we're, if we've got daughters, we're coming walking to a game store going, what game can I play with my daughter right now? So if, if it's jumping out there with familiar themes that uh, young girls can get into, then that's going to be the game we're going to pick up, right?
0: hmm yeah. And that's the thing too because when we started doing it and when they you know, realized that this is really going to happen, Todd's going to make this game happen whether we wanted to or not, <laughs> They began to say, "Oh well, why don't we, you know, why don't we make them like, you know, sword wielding princesses and make them really kick ass, you know, and all this other stuff." And I said, "No, because that's not smash up. Smash up doesn't bend the trope. Smash up takes the trope to its own extreme, right? Yeah. The princesses aren't going to be carrying swords and wearing flamethrowers. They're going to be, they're going to be, you know, making woodland creatures." <laughs>
2: come and fight for them, you know? Whoa, 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 slow
0: down, Todd.
3: A princess with a flamethrower, what did you just say? (laughs) That sounds cool. Well,
1: there you go. Speaking of making things, uh, one of the most rewarding things for me in in my life has been getting into the game industry, and one of the first steps I took was becoming a playtester with you and Ed Balm a while back. Um, Oh, yeah. Do you still have a program to get people in to become playtesters and demoers and that sort of thing?
0: We do actually. We have, so our playtest is managed by game. So the different, um, each, each game is considered its own project, and each project has its own list of assets. And one person on each game is considered the playtest coordinator. And they will either use groups that they're accustomed to or they'll do outreach. So for instance, Brian Stout is the playtest director for Smash Up, and he goes on Board Game Geek and does call outs and tries out new groups all the time. In fact, we generally have anywhere between 25 to 30 playtest groups on every smash-up set uh, that he's coordinating all the time and getting data from. Now, for people who like to demo and volunteer, we used to have what we called the Bounty Hunter program, and that's sort of been reborn as our Vanguard program now. And if you go to our website and, um, or contact our customer service and ask them about the Vanguard program, they'll put you in touch with uh, a guy named Taraj who's been running it, and he is fantastic. He's really communicative with all the volunteers, getting them everything they need, publicizing what they're doing. And it is a way that you can you know, host events, play our games with people, and get cool, fun stuff out of it. It's good to hear that's still in place. Yeah. Well, you can't really. You can't really. We can't be at every store. We joke. You mentioned all this getting a little bit older, having kids now. You know, when we were all in our early to mid twenties, yeah, man, I'm going to go visit ten stores in two days, and I'm going to drive up and down (laughs) the coast and hit five states. Da 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 da. da. It's like now, nope. (laughs) I might make it to my local store this month. You know, it's funny.
4: (laughs) (laughs) We were talking about, um, uh, at one point, we were talking about Gen Con and uh, I know the consideration to go there from flying from Australia to, um, to uh, Indianapolis. Indianapolis is, uh, it's a big undertaking and you know, I've young kids myself, there's just... No, it's not as accessible or doable in in these these years now as it was when I was younger. So, yeah, and stop
3: making your excuses, Matt. Jamie, <laughs> hey, Gen- hey, well, I'll
0: be there. Jenny and I are going. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, it's just well. Me that's why we rely on the on the things like the Vanguard program because being able to just have people in various cities and areas that they can cover and not have to cover a huge area gives us a lot more reach as a company mm. than we would normally have.
3: Hey, uh, so I was—I read an article earlier where you were talking about Nightfall and its horror genre. Uh, do game designs ever flip genres to appeal to the market? We were talking about licensing a little bit uh, earlier on. Is, is this wiser? Does it upset the designer? Or is, I mean, you know, it's hardcore marketing, but does it just cash in on themes that people want? Do you ever...
0: Well, if you're referring to theme, like if, if a designer comes in with one theme... Yeah. And then- you tell them, hey, we really think that this other theme would work. You know, sometimes that does happen. Um, we we don't do it often because we're a very theme heavy group, and oftentimes when a designer's doing their pitch, if the theme catches us, right, that that's part of what's going to sell us on making the game. Sure. So we're we're kind of invested in it already. It's happened on on small things, but like say for instance. Valley of the Kings when when Dr. Tom Cleaver brought that to us and pitched it to us I mean at its core it's just a you know it, it's a neat small deck builder but he had the whole idea around doing it as Egypt and he's a professor of Egyptology and uh-huh. history and we were like oh well <laughs> we're not touching that right <laughs> you know you, you, we're making it exactly what you want it to be yeah. but other stuff will tend to tweak it and change it for instance mystic veil vale. so Mystic Vale came in almost themeless. Right. It, it was a it was a concept because originally, when John Clare brought us the game that he pitched us, he was pitching us a different game than Mystic Vale. He was pitching us a game that we're bringing out next year called Edge of Darkness, and Edge of Darkness was this very big. Big game that had all sorts of stuff going on in it, from worker placement to card crafting to uh, you know, combat and resource management and a cube tower and all this wacky stuff happening. And it's really, really awesome. But there That's was so right. much going on, and we decided, look, this is introducing this whole new concept called card crafting. We need a game that just does card crafting yeah. before we bring out… This, you know, giant buffet of game mechanics, you know, that use it. So he went back to the drawing board and he came up with Mystic Veil. And we came up with the idea for the theme on that one, which was going to be the druids and the regrowth and all that, that we would then later tie into Edge of Darkness. But it was a way that we created a theme around uh, a game that he had gone back to the drawing board to make. In order to keep the mechanic focused, if that makes
2: sense, yeah, yeah.
3: yep hey you know I, I love the i love there 's nothing more you know there's, it's, it, this is a fifty fifty argument here, Todd, uh, loads of games come out, and it 's like the the badged it or lic- licensed it with the Cthulhu stuff, and i can 't uh, say how much I love the fact that you guys. Uh, badged smash-up with the obligatory Cthulhu set, you know. As it seems like every, everybody was doing it, but you did it with a wink and a nod, and I think that's so classy, you know, because uh, uh, you know, on, on other games it just seems like, come on, man, that's just the same thing, and you've just you know, taken this theme and, and slapped it on there. But, uh, yeah, but you guys put it on the box, you know. <laughs> you said, you said well,
0: it. that's just the way smash-up rolls, right? <laughs> yeah,
3: that's great. It's so cool.
0: Well, you know what's funny, you know, you'll know laugh about this, but what's very funny, when we were at Game Market last year, Seiji, Seiji can still produce all the love letter he wants in Japan. We have the, the worldwide rights outside of Japan, but he was there and someone had made Lovecraft Letter, <laughs> which of course was a Cthulhu-themed yeah, version letter. of Love Letter.
3: <clears throat> My goodness. Hey, but it's those sort of games. I've, I, I got my introduction to AEG as thinking it's all those great titles, like I said, I, that I take to work to get people into the games really quick. Or if my wife invites a, a couple around for dinner, you know, it's like, well, you know, you're into games. What, what games have you got? I haul out those, uh, you know, really quick-to-play, small-game AEG boxes. And that was what AEG meant to me. You know, it was that was, that was AEG. You know, it's like the the AEG black box is what I throw in my bag when I go on holiday with the extended family. <laughs> uh, and how do, how do you see AEG? Cause we, we know when there's a big box AEG title, I'm like, Oh, that's a surprise. AEG did a big box title, but you know, uh, I've seen you in other interviews talking about Thunderstone and you know, you've mentioned legend of the five rings. You know, what's, what's AEG to you?
0: Well, so it's funny because I've been with AEG for 12 years now. And I've been with AEG through a lot of transition. So when I think about AEG, I see it as a company that sort of regularly evolves. When we began, we were a CCG company, right? We were a competitive game company. We run big tournaments. We have player communities. We have games that, you know, have constantly shifting metas and stuff like that. And I will tell you, to, to a person, all of us who have been around the company for a long time, that's still very much in our blood. We we, we still constantly have this itch to come up with some crazy new competitive you know, marketing format for games or something. So I, I, I never can say we won't end up doing that at some point <laughs> because that's sort of where we come from. But as we saw the market shifting toward board games, we wanted to try that because we're also – as a company, we're also a little scatterbrained, right? We, we want to try new things. And several of us began doing the board games, and of course we had some misses early on as we were you know, getting used to doing that and learning it. But as a company right now, we don't have a, I guess you'd say a defining type of game in our own mind that we do. We have a line of small games that we do, and then we also have games like Smash Up and we had Thunderstone and now Mystic Veil is coming out this year and then Fantasy and uh, other games like that that fall in the larger game category. But we don't really see ourselves as one or the other. We are just a bunch of people who really enjoy making games that give people experiences. We want to make sure that our game communicates what you're doing in it yeah, so that you feel like like your act, like like there's a heavy theme
3: there. Yeah, well, theme theme themes carries a lot, doesn't it? And I, I think even it's it's great how you can convey that theme even with the small box titles as well as the big box titles.
0: Yeah, we try. It's harder with the small boxes. You have a little less to work with. A lot yeah. of the games, just by nature. But we we generally try. You know, love letter, of course, is a little abstract, but. Again, people get the idea very quickly, right? We're we're writing love letters to the princess. Yeah. And then, you know, then I'm looking at, at some of the other games here on my shelf. Like, Say Bye to the Villains, really hard game. Wow, it's a hard game to win. <laughs> but it, I feel like it really does communicate the idea of, you know, you're this group of heroes who's trying to stop this incredible group of bad guys and you've got one night to do it, you know? <laughs> Um, and I think that really communicates that really well. And I think the fact that it is so hard, and you do tend to lose as a team more often than you win, is actually a good part of that theme. So. Good thing for a cooperative game. So exactly. we've
1: established well and truly that I am an AG fanboy, and that I have been for a long time. Um, <laughs> just to... Just to blow my own trumpet a little bit here, um, I've spent time with John Zinza when he came to Australia. Um, when I opened up my store, he sent me a bunch of display banners that we've still got hanging there. Um, I've been your customer, your playtester, now I'm your retailer. Um, the whole way through, I've found the company amazingly supportive and helpful and just excited about gaming. Um, It's really rare to find over these sort of international distances that there's a company that, you know, like I can drop an email to and just get it back the next day and everyone's happy and excited. What are (laughs) some of the things that you think, like, in particular, you know, you've you've obviously worked with John for a long time now. What are some of the the philosophies that really guide you guys and, and keep it going?
0: So our company's little tagline that we use at shows and stuff is we make fun. And we always try to remember that at the end of the day, the products we're making have to be about giving people fun and that they walk away from it laughing and having had a good time and, and all that. And we, we tend towards slightly more casual games because of that. We don't get into too heavy of the other stuff. But as far as philosophy goes, you know, it, it's funny you ask that. There's a book, which you may have heard of, called Good to Great. And that's an employee requirement. Everyone has to read that book from cover to cover when they first come to work at AEG. And we really stick to the part, especially the part they refer to about the bus, right? If you're the right person on the bus, then you're going to fit in and help the company. If you're not the right person on the bus, you probably need to move along and find the right bus. And (laughs) not – Not saying anything against people who've come and gone. I I think many of them have gone on to exactly the right place they're supposed to be. But I think over time, we've cultivated a group that is all of the same mindset, you know, that we want to make games that are fun, that people can enjoy. We want to have a good time while doing it. And we also want to make a good living at it. We're not, you know, working in our garage at night making (laughs) games. That's not the sort of thing we want to do. And so... Over time, you, you build that correct group for it. And uh, I think that, that we've really gotten close to that point, if not completely there, where everyone is on board with that philosophy. And I think that's what makes it so much fun and why people respond so quickly, as you pointed out, because we enjoy what we're doing every day.
1: When you say working in your garage late at night, let's have this image of hammers and blow torches and things, sparks coming out.
3: <laughs> say make card games, Jeremy. <laughs> blow torches
0: well not not since the not since the clan war days when when Ken and Dave would actually be out in the warehouse casting little figures
4: but... well, yeah, that's true <laughs> so, Todd do you um, do you have a preferred gaming medium
0: Uh, I definitely I mean I prefer playing on tabletop you know I I play at least with my family once a week if not more Um, I prefer it to playing online, although I don't disparage online play or or video game play either because my kids love Star Wars Battlefront and I play it with them too. And we have a lot of fun with that as well, but I still enjoy the time that we get to spend around the table.
4: So which games get, uh, get you excited to bring to the table? What's, uh, what's your meat and potatoes, so to speak?
0: Okay, so I usually answer this uh, in two ways. First, I answer, you know, what is the AEG games that make me that <laughs> way? Yeah, and course. then what are, the, what are the non-AEG games that make me that way? So I will say, without a doubt, obviously I love playing Smash Up. But right now, and maybe it's because it's new and it's exciting, but Mystic Veil is the one that I love getting to the table now. Yeah. I'm actually trying to go to more stores to preview it and show it off because I'm just really, really excited about it um, right now. And uh, I, I hope everyone else will be as well. I think it's going to be a a, a a big hit. I think people are going to really like it. And want to drop into Sydney I, and show us? Anytime.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'd love to. I would love to. And so for outside of AEG games, I really – I'm still a sucker – for Arkham Horror, <laughs> you know, I, will, I will play a big we were just Arkham Horror game. That Arkham Horror was our favorite game. Yeah, You're oh yeah, I'll play talk. a big Arkham Horror game anytime.
2: Yeah.
4: So, um, tell me, uh, who's the uh, the uh, John Candy fan? Planes, Trains, and Automobiles.
0: <laughs> that was uh, that was just a gag that came along, right? <laughs> it's I funny how that one evolved. Because we had trains, which we had picked up at Game Market with yeah. Sasashi. And then from there, David Short pitched us a game, and he called it uh, – I think he called it Terminal or something like that, <laughs> which was which would be planes. And then I was sitting there, and I thought, what if we call it planes? Because then we have planes and trains. And then he joked, and he said, yeah, and I can make an automobiles too. And then I <laughs> like nudged Zenzer. I'm like, yep. There we go.
2: <laughs>
0: <And> that's <laughs> how it went. And then David Witten made Automobiles, which has become sort of a critical hit lately um, among reviewers. And people are really starting to like it a lot. And um, I'm excited about it. It's, it, it. It released really well for us. And it's one of those that seems to be picking up more steam now that it's been out for a little while. Yeah, it's a really cool game. If we go into specific it game, it's really neat.
1: Yeah, yeah. If we're going to go talk about specific games, can we talk a little bit about Legend of the Five Rings? Sure. I I'm a huge fan. Always have been. Um, Crab Clan for life. Have you guys <laughs> um, had the chance to have any input or uh, or to try out the new FFG version? Um, and and no. you know, how did you come to that decision to give it away? And and have, what, what's going on with that game? <laughs>
0: Well, no. So right now, no, we have not tried anything that they're doing. They're kind of keeping all that in house, which is, is fine. Um, I did, uh, make it, uh, clear in, in a message to, to, um, Brian Bjorn Mueller over there at FFG. I said, look, buddy, I haven't paid for L5R in 12 years. I don't intend to start now. You know, <laughs> so make sure you send me stuff. <laughs> but, um, but I'm excited to see what they're going to do with it. Honestly. Um, I'll, I'll be interested to see how they approach the the breadth of it in an LCG format. Um, I would not be surprised. I, I can't say anything because I don't know, but I would not be surprised if a few things from the old game don't necessarily come over to the new one. But but again, I'm just I'm going to be waiting just like anybody else to see to see what they do. Now the I'm pretty decision, excited. like Fantasy Flight,
1: you know, if you're going to give it to anyone, um, they're the guys, and and Star Wars oh, LCG is yeah. fantastic.
0: Oh, yeah. Really, they are. And I think they're going to do a great job with it. And, you know, we Steve is one of our best friends, and he was the one at FFG that really fought to get it for them. So, you know, I know it's in good hands with him. Um, so the decision was reached uh, over a period of time. It was funny because we had been doing L5R for so long, and we had told so many stories with it. And and so many people at the company had worked on it in different capacities, And we were beginning to notice that we were really transitioning away from the competitive game into more board game and small game. And we were noticing over the years that people's attention and passion was really going toward those more. And I don't think that it had anything necessarily to do with L5R specifically. I think it was just, I've been doing this for 10 years, and now here's this new shiny thing that's doing really well for us. I want to work on that, you know? And so we finally made the decision. of We sat down and said, okay, we well just have to decide what kind of company we're going to be because, really, these are two different companies. The company that's running a collectible card game with tournaments and support and all that is one business, and a company that's doing board games and card games is another business. And so we decided we needed to sit down and figure out what are we going to do. And we all pretty much agreed that, that the evolution of AEG was to now go into the more board game side of of gaming. And it wasn't easy. I mean, every, there was nobody there who liked the decision of letting L5R go. I mean, everybody has history with it. Everybody has, you know, their little personal character or their wife or girlfriend's character or... You know, they have, you know, their stories from events and crazy things that happened at Gen Con with them. And, and you know, everybody had that. So, no, it, it was not an easy decision. But at the end of the day, when we thought about it, we realized, you know, that's, that's just not who we are right now. And FFG is doing really well with these uh, LCGs right now. And Steve has a real passion for it and wants to work on it and they made us a really nice offer and yeah. so we decided that it would be the best for the game and it would be best for us as AEG mm. to go ahead and let that go
4: so there's a certain um, there's a certain solace in knowing that it's going to a a good home
0: so oh absolutely absolutely yeah. that was and that was one of the 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 biggest things that made making the decision possible
4: and it sounds uh, like
3: LCG's it, you know the FFG LCG. Just talking letters here. This is ridiculous. <laughs> but that's not a million miles away from like where your roots are, right, Todd? That's that's it. It seems about right, doesn't
0: it? It does. It does seem right. And uh, you know, we all hope that that you know L five R players will will play it over the new format, and that FFG fans who never played before will adopt it and start playing, and that they'll be able to tell another twenty years of stories with it. Mm. And then it will just continue on to give it away like that. And, and yeah, it seems like you've done the right thing. I think so. I think so. We're, we're really happy with the company that we are right now. And we're getting to explore some new, uh, some new options as well. And again, we always get that itch to do something competitive. So I'm not saying it's off the table, but, (laughs) but you know, something
1: may come out eventually, but we'll see. Well, while I've got the limelight and it got you here, two of my absolute favorite games of all time, Nightfall and Infinite City, um, are both in your back catalog and both out of print. Are they ever going to come back?
0: It's quite possible. Um, we've talked about doing um, uh, doing Nightfall again, either in as Nightfall or as something else. That's always been sort of kicked around. Infinite City, uh, I'm not sure it's going to be reprinted anymore at this point. Um, But you never know. You know, back catalog stuff is always a possibility, at least in limited quantities. that's
3: fair enough. Well, you look at Final Fantasy, they bring stuff back, you know, like... uh,
4: Final Fantasy? Sorry, sorry, Fantasy Flight.
3: (laughs) Fantasy Flight games, I always get that mixed up. Yeah. Uh, No, the... uh, What was that? That... Legend of Dracula or something like that. Fury of, Jack- Fury oh, of Fury Dracula. Of Dracula. Yeah. That's been back about three or four times and they and they've described that. I love playing that back in the eighties with me. That was one of the games I got my my girlfriend to play. And you know, that's just been rebadged and, and brought out just recently, hasn't it? You know? So these old games can yeah. these old games can have new life.
0: They certainly can. Yeah. They certainly can. And there's no, um, our main thing right now is scheduling. We have we have eight people no, 10 people who are full-time with us. And I'll tell you, finding the time to get everything done is really a major task. We've actually planned out our entire 2017 already, all the way through the end of the year and into early 18. So even when we think mm-hmm. about other new games, it's like, okay, well, where are we going to do it? Well, it's yeah. going to be two years from now, you know,
3: so... Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I was thinking about. You, you, the description of a uh, senior brand manager, it sounds like, a, like I mentioned earlier, like a movie producer, you know, you're bringing all the talent together to produce a final product. Is there any uh, talent that's just recently just, you know, made your jaw drop and you thought this this guy, girl is just amazing?
0: Uh, I've had a few. Um, interestingly, from different, from different perspectives, right? So we we work with a lot of really awesome designers. You know, Seiji is amazing. Dr. Tom is, is incredible the way he thinks. Um, and I will say that John Clare who does mystic veil with us, he, he's new as far as being published, but the way he thinks is so advanced and so different than the way a lot of other game designers think. And it's just really neat to see him, take a comment of ours and then come back with something on it. That's completely 10 times what we had anticipated. And his, his way of thinking there is is just so neat to watch. And what he comes back with Uh, art wise, I just can't even tell you how many, I mentioned Jay house who did fantasy. He also did greedy goblins. I love his work. It's, it's got so much character and so much style. That's all his own. I'm working with, uh, there's a company called gong studios who's out of asia and they are an art studio house but their stuff is consistently great and they do so many different styles and um i just i I just appreciate working with them you know i love finding new artists all the time but it's always good to have one house you can just call up and say hey I need art for Smash Up that looks like Smash Up, or I need art for Dice City that looks like Dice City, and you're going to get it. You know? Yeah,
3: I, I talked to Noah Bradley not too long ago. Uh, he might know Noah Bradley from uh, Magic uh, card mm-hmm. design, and yeah, he was he was saying how how amazed he is at how frequently he just is amazed at the artists that are out there, and how many of those artists are completely unknown. And what jaw-dropping stuff they have! And it seems like within this games world of ours, uh, it's a great opportunity for them to to get a berth and um, and get their stuff out there. Um, oh, it
0: really is because I mean, I'm working on a game right now, and I'm using four completely new people on it who I haven't worked with before. Uh, because number one, I need to spread the work around, but number two, I want to try them out. And their portfolios are so good. There's so many good ones out there. You know, to to bring up Mystic Vale again, we had a character done who is basically like a an int a tree person, and a guy named Micah Epstein did the painting for it. Mm. And Micah Epstein then, with that painting, ended up winning the jury prize at Gen Con for art based off of that original painting of that int that's going to be in Mystic Vale. Wow, that's a good stuff. It was huge for him. You know, it was a huge thing for his portfolio, so he was incredibly thankful. I was incredibly thankful because it got Mystic Vale a lot of early attention. But... <laughs> But it was, hey, uh, you know, speaking of art, see people with that kind of the talent.
1: art on uh, Twilight Squabble made me laugh a fair bit. Is that game? Is there going to be a series following that? Are you going to keep mocking the you other? You know, games? I'm not sure. Twilight Squabble
0: is visually; it's really fun. Um, the whole propaganda style, the whole you know, yeah. Cold War thing, is is really. Now we. It's not really in that series, but we do have a game that we're working on um, that is. Uh, similar in the sense of taking a really, really big existing game and giving you the 10-minute version, um, kind of in a joking way, kind of like Twilight Squabble was. Um, I can't mention which game it is right now, but we do have another that's sort of in that, so I guess you could consider that that line.
4: <laughs> Todd, with um, AG being held as a a privately held company, How do you see all this amalgamation and buyout that is happening recently, you know, Days of Wonder and uh, Asthma Day acquiring basically everything on the planet? Uh, Are you looking at... Is there any plans for AEG to become some sort of... Game company gobbling monster, or uh, you're quite happily to be
1: traveling <laughs> Jeez, on a That's thing? a bit heavy,
3: isn't it? He's gone it's all, it's all governmental and uh, big, big time organization. I see, I didn't see that coming. Bloody hell, not
0: uh, so to without getting going into DSL, we have had more than one smaller company ask if we were interested in buying them up, yeah. Um, <laughs> That is not currently our business model right now, and not something that we're pursuing. It's also not something that we are looking to become a part of in the sense of being. uh, And and again, I I will say it's – we've also had that direction, our, but it's not something that we are –
3: I'd love to have. I'm wondering what Matt was driving out there, but I'd love to have seen you answer that, Todd. With a uh, yeah, we're planning on taking over, if, if, <laughs> yeah, a whole bunch of games, like you know, big big game companies, yeah. Fantasy Flight, right, that's ours. Exactly. That's <laughs> ours on Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, um, okay. So, if, if are you going to be at Gen Con this year, Todd?
0: I am going to be at Gen Con. I am. Uh, I have a funny job at Gen Con this year because we have so many of our. Designers in our booth. Uh, I'm almost like a uh, handling the VIPs, right? Make sure they have their yeah. meetings set up and everything else. <laughs>
3: our follow up question to that is, uh, what beard you like? Because Jamie and I are probably going to be in the same hall as you.
0: You're going to be in the same hall as me. If, oh wow! If it's a um, right now, I th- there's a brand over here called Fat Tire, and <laughs> Fat that's the tire. one that I tend to lean toward.
3: All right. Well, expect if you see some uh, Australian guys looking lost, wandering around with a six-pack of fat tyre, that's either Jamie or myself. <laughs> that'll be us, <up>. yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: that'll be us. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll keep my eyes open for it. Uh, awesome.
4: We have a, a question that we like to put at the end of all of our interviews. Classic. And, and a classic, yeah, yeah. the classic. Okay. It's, it's about uh, four interviews old now. Um, and where we, dis- we ask... How do you stack your board games? There's been various uh, uh, discussion Responses. and response. You know. How do you store them? Yeah, how do you store them? I like to okay. store mine uh, by color, uh, which is my wife's fault. But uh, we're curious about how other people uh, attempt this feat. Is it the, the, uh, the Tetris method or the, uh, you know, how do Distribute you go about Distribute it around it? the house, anywhere they fit, whatever.
0: So it's funny you mentioned that and asked that question because in the last two to three weeks, we did a major cleaning out of our house and reorganization <laughs> of our house. And one major thing we tackled was the board game collection, which resides in my closet. And it. Had previously sort of been the Tetris style, right? Can I fit another one in? Can I fit another one in? Yeah. Now they're all nicely organized on shelves, standing upright, book style, um, based Mm. on size. And (laughs) so all the big, thick games, kind of like Imperial Assault and um, uh, some of those cool mini or not games are all down on the bottom together. Then you've got a row of all the kids' games that they know they can just come grab whatever they want off of that shelf. And then above that, it, it goes into uh, uh, the the medium-sized games, I guess you'd say, kind of like the Smash Ups, the Machi Coros, the the Dice Cities, the things like that. And then there's the uh, plastic tubs that are holding all the micro games. And
3: I'm practically <laughs> weeping openly, Todd. That's you're exi- you're in my court here. That's exactly how I like it. Nice and organized, so you can find your way. Even a bit of alphabetical organization. Just be, I'd, I'd love that kind of thing. But i got to do a little bit OCD with my storage. Right. Yeah. Um,
1: Thank you so much for coming and uh, having a chat with us, Todd. Yeah. Um, your company is, my, is probably my favorite in the world. Um, it's, it's wonderful.
4: He's a fanboy, Jamie. Uh,
0: well, I appreciate it. We really do. I mean, seriously, without the fans and, and the ones that the folks that have come see us at the shows and talk to us online and all that, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. And we absolutely love doing what we do, so we it's appreciate been every one joy. of
3: you. Absolute joy talking to you, Todd. Uh, and because it has been such a joy, uh, I've got an extra question, which... Uh, is a little bit of a liberty, but I thought I'd, I'd only ask it if, if you're easy to talk to, and you have been. So my question is, on the uh, dice step reference sheet, uh, a quick point <laughs> using your pass tokens, point three, force all other players to reroll one their dice. There's a bit of a grammatical there. One their
0: dice, yeah. yeah.
3: And then I look at the yeah, credits. That would
0: be me. I yeah. was the one who laid out that... that piece of uh component.
3: And then and I look at the credits and it says uh proofreading, Todd Rowland.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not only proofreading, I actually did the typeset on that too, so it's double that.
3: Yeah. Oh boy. Oh well now that's good fun. Thanks for being such a good good guy, you know, it's been great Talking <laughs> to you.
0: I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on. This was really a lot of fun.
3: Yeah, great stuff. Six pack of fat tie coming your way.
0: <laughs> you got it, man. We'll see you there.
3: All right, man. See so you later, tentacle.
2: man.
3: Welcome back. It's wasn't that a good chat with Todd Rowland? What a guy. He's like my so my, much fun. He's my favourite senior brand manager in the universe now, <laughs> i got to tell you.
4: How many yeah. senior brand managers do you know, David? Yeah,
3: let's not go into that.
4: But hey, it's Matt's quiz! Matt's this quiz! Matt's quiz!
3: This month, held by Jamie. Jamie's quiz! <laughs> Jamie's quiz! <laughs>
1: Jamie's quiz!
3: First time, this is the uh, inaugural uh, Jamie's Matt's quiz. Is that, is that what we're doing?
1: I get. Let's look, it's as good a name as any, let's go with it. Um, right. Bottom line is, I put together the quiz this month, um and uh, thought we'd uh, see how everyone goes with their dicey city knowledge. So they'll <laughs> <Nail> all, then. <laughs> pens and paper at the ready, and, and I'm going to have to rely on you two not to both be looking up answers on the internet. No, and, uh... no. I won't let him do that. I won't <laughs> no. let him do that. And I won't
4: let him cheat off me either.
1: <laughs> all right, guys. So there are a total of five questions in this quiz. Yeah. Some of them broken them into lots of little bits. Um, question one: The oldest non-six-sided dice that are known to mankind are from a) the Stone Age, b) ancient Egypt, c) ancient Rome, or d) the Renaissance. Monstrous. <laughs> is that is does so, that play into it? That is, uh, well,
3: monstrous the dice game.
1: It wasn't one of the answers. Was oh, okay. It? <laughs> So there's Sorry. a good chance that it's not going to be the answer there, David. Yeah. Now you're doing a good
3: job as uh as quiz master there, Jamie.
1: Yeah. You're so avoiding, the aim is... avoiding these with a multiple choice, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so the oldest non-six-sided dice in the world, Stone Age, Ancient Egypt, Ancient Rome, or the Renaissance.
3: The oldest non-six-sided non,
1: Yeah. Non-six-sided, oh. that's, a, that's a nice clue there.
3: But that could just be just a rock, couldn't it? With
4: <laughs> Just any kind of rock. Just... Yeah, that has happened
3: to have a little bit of moss on one side. Yeah, they just throw it at the ground and go, oh, I can see moss,
4: that's it, yeah.
1: This is why you're a podcast interviewer and not a game designer.
4: <laughs> that's the, the, the heckle dice. Yeah, that, I remember that the game. That dice. was the, uh, the uh, prehistoric version of Mossy Mossy dos, Dice Dice. That mossy Dice. <laughs>
1: yeah. All right, question two. Guys, this one, you're going to be naming some things. I want you to name two types of polyhedral dice that exist. <laughs> yeah. They've got to exist. They've got to have been made. But they're not found in a standard seven-die set.
3: Oh. Okay. In a standard seven-die set.
1: That's right. So a standard seven-die set has seven particular dice in it. Yeah. That's pick, a, that's pick two a that are not in that set.
3: Oh. Oh. That's a good question, Jamie. I'm glad you like it. Yeah, I do. It's a little bit like you've got to name the seven that are in there already. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. What's the seven? Oh, crap.
1: If you've been paying attention to Kickstarter, there there was a Dice a dice Kickstarter a little while ago that did all sorts of odd sizes.
3: Yeah. I, I can name six pretty quick time that are in the seven... Oh. Well, you're doing better than I am.
4: <laughs> um.
3: Um, but it, it's, the two, it's the two that aren't in that seven yeah, dice set. Yeah, <laughs> All, right. All right.
1: Well, take some guesses, guys, because we're moving on to question three. You
3: yeah. get a, a D2. It's just a coin. You just flip it up in the air and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> don't it's don't a coin. give it away. All right, I'm going with a D2. Right, I'm so telling you now. We're, I'm coming out. I'm going with D 2 D2. About
1: dice. We're moving on to cities. Yeah. In modern urban planning, what <laughs> is the most popular shape for a city? <laughs> what the,
3: oh, <laughs> the most popular? Popu- sh- if
1: you were if you were planning a city today, yeah, if that was your job, what shape? What is the most popular shape for a city in modern ur- urban planning?
3: Now, there's some uh, obviously within the gaming community. There are town planners, and they, you know, they'll be all over this. But isn't it sort of nobbly around the outside? it's <laughs> like, oh, there's a bit of a supermarket here, a bit of a
1: look. Uh, I, um, I, I can't give you the answer. No, but I would suggest that you don't write down sort of nobbly. <laughs> uh, really?
3: Are you? Have you done research for this, Jamie? This isn't common knowledge. I certainly
1: have. This is this is looking at modern theories in uh, city design.
3: All right. What's a modern? Right. What's a modern city? And what shape is it? Is there a modern uh, city?
1: A modern city
3: is probably in. Where would be a modern city?
4: So, how many <laughs> shapes do you know?
3: Not many. They're all polyhedral. <laughs> They're polyhedral <laughs> shapes. Oh, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. All right. Got it. I've named all a right, shape. Guys,
1: here we go. Question four. Yeah. To the nearest thousand, how many dice are in the world's largest collection? Oh held By Kevin
3: Cook of South Carolina. Oh, oh, Kev. Hey, I think
4: this has been a question
3: it before. It was,
1: it
4: was, and now I'm trying to remember it. <laughs> oh, there's no way I'm remembering really? this. Really?
3: Yeah, no, I yeah, think uh, we did man. this. We no, did this on a previous territory. podcast. But I was, I think I was, it the was quiz on a beer, master.
4: it was on the beer and, um, it was, was it f-
3: beer f- and pizza show? The first second, one. First or second beer and nah, pizza? No, it'd the first one, probably. probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and um, but that's the... I mean, what are we going to learn from the beer and pizza show? There's no memories from no, that. we were drinking
4: that. beer and eating pizza. Yeah,
3: I can't remember it happening.
4: To <laughs> so the nearest so At least you got thousand. it around the right way. All right.
3: <laughs> I can think of a number to the nearest thousand. Good old Kevin. I think it's that's what I... when
1: you're eating your beer and drinking your pizza. Now we're um, on wasabi okay, so chips. Okay, so to the nearest thousand, how many dice are in the world's largest collection? Yeah. Okay. Now, question five. This one has Four parts.
3: Four parts. Does this make it up to seven? doesn't, doesn't it? One, two, three,
1: does it? This does make it up to seven, I think. Or okay. it will by the time Eight. I assign points to things.
4: Eight land uh, hand.
1: What's that? nine land hand, actually.
4: No, I nine know. land
1: hand. All right, go for it. Uh, these ones only count half a point each. Okay. Because they're dodgy <laughs> questions, to be okay. honest. Um, <laughs> so, question 6A. 5A. What brand of vacuum cleaner is best for sucking up loose dice?
3: Subjective, isn't it? What,
1: no, no, no. There's a there's a definite oh. answer to this one. I told you I researched this quiz.
3: Yeah, I've got it.
1: So, what I, brand? What brand of vacuum cleaner best for sucking up loose dice?
3: I'm going to double down and say I've got this one. Uh,
1: yeah, and Excellent. I'd like
3: to go like double, or like not seven or nothing. It's all, it's all in on this question.
1: <laughs> seven or nothing. Yeah. All right. Uh, question B. Yeah. In the fifth element, Bruce Willis visits what dice related pleasure planet?
3: Dice related pleasure planet? Um,
1: yeah, in the fifth element, Bruce Willis goes to a planet. Something to do with dice about that planet. What's the name of the planet?
3: God. I'm
2: out.
1: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Fifth element. No. You see, like that—that that should be in your wheelhouse because it's one of the best movies ever. It mate. is, isn't it? Yeah. It's so good, but it's been Very a while movie. since
3: I've seen it. And um, you know, you know me—it's all, right. all about the visuals. Yeah, go on. Question, <laughs> question three.
1: All right, Part C. Part C. This is Part C. Five C. In Greek mythology, who did Orpheus love so much that he went into the underworld to get her back after she died? Orpheus. Orpheus. So in Greek mythology, Orpheus went to the underworld to get somebody back. Who was the somebody?
4: Yeah. Okay. Presumably, it was Orpheus. Um, someone worth going to the underworld for. That's amazing, yeah, Matt. You wouldn't hanging get out with
1: this Aprophenic. Hanging out with this chick named Polly you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. And 5D. 5D, this is the last question. Yeah. What kind of dice did Jane Austen write about?
3: Jane Austen.
1: Oh, yeah. Jane Austen. What kind of dice did Jane Austen write about? That Jane. Uh... All right. Let's... Yeah, let's, let's recap. Okay. Let's recap. Let's take it back. Here we go. <laughs> Pens at the ready to mark your sheets. Yeah. Question number one. The oldest non-six-sided dice known are from... David?
3: Uh, Well, obviously, I pointed out the flaw in your whole question there. It was just a rock, but I'm going for Egypt because, you know, they did everything.
1: Okay, Ah, and Matt? I went for
4: ancient Rome.
1: All right, guys, I hate to tell you this, but about three weeks ago, there was an article plastered all over Facebook about Stone Age dice.
2: Ah, really? That
1: were discovered, um, I think it was uh, somewhere in central Europe that someone had found that they were literally carved and jabbed holes in and, were, the,
3: were they bone? Were they made out of bone?
1: Yeah. There was some made of bone and some made of, of rocks. Strangely wow. enough.
3: Wow.
1: Oh, you were on the right track. Yeah. Those
3: guys, those guys, you know. <laughs> I know. Oh, love them.
1: All right. All right. Zero, Question zero two was named two types of polyhedral dice that exist, but are not found in a standard seven die set.
4: I'll take it from Matt. Okay. So I'm guessing it's not the Acosahedron. What are you talking about? I don't know. It's not the Tetrahedron. Mm-hmm. It's... Uh, He's not asking you what not it isn't. He's asking you <laughs> what it not is. I'm stalling for time. <laughs> not not, um, not, but not is. Okay, I don't know. Is there such a thing as the Deci or Decihedron?
1: You can give me the number of sides. That's yeah. Okay,
4: 120?
1: There is not a 120-sided die Uh, in existence. What about a 300? (laughs) Also not a 300. (laughs) Dave, what you got?
3: Uh, I've got the D100, which I think pretty much a standard percentile ridiculous dice right and then it is
1: it looks like a golf ball well yeah.
3: done and then i then i i committed to the d2 because it was a funny uh, dice f- uh, coin flip for me so i have to commit to that now so it was the d100 and the d2 are uh,
1: ridiculous but both correct answers. <laughs> oh really <laughs> yes, what indeed. does
3: the d2 look like it must be a coin
1: no, it's uh, it's actually a D four, but the numbers are all ones and twos. <laughs> all
4: right. Wow. But hang
1: on, hang. No, on. shut up, Matt. I stated that isn't out loud. Isn't it
4: still a, Isn't it still a? Uh, the shape is still the the, the pyramid. <laughs> Quizmaster said it's the D two. Oh. Yeah, so it's done.
1: It's not about the shape. It's yeah. about uh, what the dice are used for. All so right.
4: I'm in front on a quiz. I'll lodge my complaint <laughs> with. Um,
1: other valid answers Someone. would have been D three, D seven, D fourteen, D sixteen, D
4: thirty. Hey, just out of interest, Jamie, we've
3: got the in the seven set. We've got a D four, a D six, a D eight, a D ten, a D twelve, and a D twenty. One, two, three, four, five, six. That's six. Which one am I missing?
1: You're missing the percentile D ten.
3: The percentile D. So there's yeah, two so forms
1: get, of D ten. You get two D ten. One yeah. of them measures ones, and one of them measures tens Ah,
3: yes i got you yeah
4: yeah. my problem was i was totally focusing on the shape not (laughs) the uh sides
1: well conveniently that takes us to question three which is in modern urban planning what is the most popular shape for a city
3: dave okay well um i've got rude answers but i'm gonna just go with (laughs) rectangular for to, to keep it Try to keep it non-explicit, which it will be anyway. I'm going for uh, rectangular.
4: Matt? I, I went for uh, what is, I, I guess, Perth's model, which is sort of a, a diamond reaching north and south with a little bit to the east. No one's basing anything on Perth. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> right you know, a diamond. I went diamond. Right. All
1: right, guys. Well, the, the correct answer is a circle. Um, I would have also accepted a star because there's... Uh, Oh, it's a fairly it. popular urban planning model, which is to have a sort of connected mini built-up suburbs uh, in a star. star, star uh, I, I
4: thought star, but then I thought... Mm. Town
3: planners, please put your complaints below <laughs> in uh, the comments section. <laughs> Thank you. Um,
1: but no, no, look, traditional traditionally, um, cities have started out being sort of square or rectangular and just built out from there. And if you look at uh, even Melbourne and Sydney, um, both are... Both are very sort of laid out in a grid. Um, yeah,
4: fascinating,
1: but dead boring,
4: Jamie. The problem um. with Perth is, yes, it goes north and south, but and it only goes east. It can't go west because it's on the coast. Sense? So I guess it's a triangle. No. no.
1: no. All right. Well, three questions in. Yeah. Dave is up by a point. Woohoo!
4: I never keep track of the score. I'm Don't too you? polite. No,
1: no. I, I am when I'm in front. <laughs> I, I didn't name the name the score.
4: All right, how are we going for question four? We're on to Kev.
1: Question four. Um, To the nearest thousand, how many dice are in the world's largest collection held by Kevin Cook of South Carolina? Uh, Matt.
4: I had 64,000.
1: 64,000, and Dave?
3: Well, I'm I'm sure there's a nine in it, (laughs) so I've just gone with 90,000.
1: All right, well bit over, guys, but to the nearest thousand, uh, the closest <laughs> answer like is Matt.
3: <laughs> yeah. Is it really little?
1: It's 11,000, 11, yes. 11,000. Oh. Has
3: 11 got a nine in it? I think I said that. 11 does not have a nine. Well, there, are, there is nine in 11,
1: yes. Yeah. It's true. All right,
3: we'll forget everything I just said then. Okay.
1: <laughs>
4: yeah. I went for 64,000 minus 53,000. So does Matt was... get a point for that? He does, doesn't he? Cause yeah. he I'm going to give him a
1: point because he got closer. Yeah.
4: Yeah. That's yeah, fair enough.
1: All right, so it's going to come down to these ridiculous, ridiculous questions at the end here. This will be exciting. Yeah, yeah. All right, so question 5A. <laughs> what brand of vacuum cleaner is best for sucking up loose dice, Dave? It's the Dyson <laughs>
4: vacuum cleaner. Yes, and the vacuum. Dyson. Also He's copying Dyson. off okay. me. I wrote Dyson. Okay.
1: <laughs> All right, Uh Question B. In the fifth element, Bruce Willis visits what dice-related pleasure planet? What have we got, Matt?
4: It was Dicetopia. I remember that explicitly. <laughs>
1: and Dave?
4: Oh, I went for Paradise. <laughs> it is Flossed
1: Paradise, Dave. Oh, no. oh. Flossed Paradise. <laughs> it's well a, well done. <laughs> well, right. I made that up. Part anyway. C. In Greek mythology... Who did Orpheus love so much that he went back into the underworld to get her after she died? Dave?
3: Uh, I went for Dysan. <laughs> like as in Diane, but Dysan. That's not going to be right, is it? It's, it's, <laughs> it's not going
1: to be right. It's a shocking fail and, of, a, of an uh, answer.
4: Oh, I, mine wasn't much better. Dysomedes. Dysomedes. It's not bad. It
1: was Eurydice.
4: Eurydice. Eurydice.
1: Uh, um, if you've I'm ever seen um, yeah. the opera Orpheus in the underworld with the can-can, that's... Um, that's Eurydice's big number.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like a Jewish uh, comedy and- sketch. Eurydice!
2: Hey. Oh, that's the Godfather.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah. yeah. I'm doing the Godfather thing with the chin. All right.
1: All right, here we go. Last question. This is uh, for all the dice. Is this what right? kind of dice did Jane Austen write about, Matt?
4: Are you scared for the answer?
1: I, I'm terrified.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I, I really... I wrote the dice of hearts. I've got no idea. I don't... Oh, I'm not really? a Jane Austen fan.
1: You idiot. You've read the book.
4: And Dave? <laughs> Pr- Pride and Prejudice and
3: Zombies. Oh. <laughs> but Ladies no, Pride and, and, and gentlemen, Prejudice. we
1: have a first-time winner here Ooh. on Seven Land Hands, and I, it is Dave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, that's why I write the quiz. I think I'm going <laughs> to ask for a game of free copy of Dice City for this. Nathan Twos. All right. It's uh, Needs and Twos this month. What have we got? We've got Monsters is in store. Uh, Jamie, what have you got on that?
1: Yeah, Monsters is in store. <laughs> um, look, uh, it came in pretty late in May, and uh, so uh, if you still want to go in and, uh, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, it's episode 69 to your, uh, to your local Good Games staff member, uh, I'm pretty sure they'll still give you the 10% discount as well. So uh, grab a copy while the grabbing is good.
2: Yeah,
3: and and do it because monstrous is uh, it's, it. I mean, we're you know it's uh, we we're, we're sponsored by good games. It's good games publishing, but it's been like such a fun game. It's just like the game on the top of my family's uh, want to play list. And uh, even tonight, Matt, you're
4: taking it home. Yeah, you're I'm borrowing gonna, it off me. So I'm going to uh, introduce it to my wife, who's not a gamer. But um, I think this was one game that I might be able to convince her to, uh, you know. Uh, Unwrap and uh, play with me. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's a fan of throwing
1: things at other things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
4: that's it. Yeah. Cups, saucers, knives. Yeah. yeah. she's really good at. It.
3: She's good at throwing things across the table at Matt <laughs> for a change. Let's throw some cards instead of yeah. stuff that's going to wound him.
4: But I think in store, if you're going to pick it up, you still need to give the secret password, which is. Get
1: monstrous.
3: Monstrous. monstrous. <laughs> All right, game of the month special.
1: Enthusiasm in that.
3: <laughs> game of the month special this month is uh, Dice City. Good Games are giving our listeners ten percent off Dice City. So go to your nearest Good Game store anywhere in Australia and give their staff the password. Transform, Transform and, roll and roll out. Uh, this lasts only for the month of June. So stop dreaming and start rolling. Uh, yeah, so you could you could actually go in there and go transform and roll out monstrous, save <laughs> save ten percent off two games. Walk out of there, a very happy person, cash heavy, game heavy, wouldn't you? <laughs> Why so, not? Yeah, ten percent. No losing there. 10% savings not enough. What about the chance to win Dice City? That sounds all right, doesn't I it? I have a chance to win Dice City. Mm, you can I win nah. Dice City? Uh, you can't, and no, you can't either, Jamie. Shut up. Uh, well, for one <laughs> listener who comments on the Facebook post for this episode, that's episode 69 that's the one with the sweet art at the top of our Facebook page right now uh, you can win the game. Uh, just comment on the post now pinned to the top of our Facebook page, and uh, Good Games HQ will randomly choose somebody as this month's winner of the Artipia and AEG game Dice City.
4: But what uh, constitutes a comment?
3: Yeah, well, this we've been getting into this, haven't we, a little bit with um, different uh, some people have been just writing comment,
4: or what about comma or? Yeah, well, that's a bit brief. We'd like a little Full bit.
3: How about a bit of banter? You know, be a bit creative with it. You know, that, I think that makes that's good fun for everybody, isn't it? You know you? what?
1: The longer your comment is, the better a human being you are.
3: The longer. <laughs> All right, so just cut and paste any kind of uh, small section from Lord of the Rings and just paste
4: it into our Facebook page. <laughs> Something like that. When you die, city. Go to Wikipedia and uh, grab a pay, grab a a. a paragraph and just slot it in there yeah. in fact yeah let's see the first person that takes us up on that
1: yeah make, yeah. make it a paragraph about city planning <laughs> that'd be fantastic oh my god yeah
4: <laughs> I look
3: i don't know what the i don't know what the guys over at uh good games hq are into but you know if you can hit the nail on the head as far as interesting topics wikipedia style uh they'll probably make you the winner of uh dice city next month um oh speaking of which who won uh, monstrous last month We've got a winner, guys! Who was is, it? Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> no, no, we don't know. You, yeah, You're yeah, keeping yeah. all this information to yourself. Yeah, Just share us, it. Some of us have dozed off. Uh, last month's winner is Hannah Kleinak. Woohoo! Go, Hannah! Hooray! Or, or possibly pronounced Hannah Klinak. Hooray! I'm not, I'm not so go sure. Hannah. Hannah, equally apologies and uh, congratulations. You've just won a uh, copy of Monstrous, which is, you know, fantastic. You see, we'll be in touch shortly. Uh, And I'm pretty
4: sure Hannah is one of our Perth listeners. Oh, you've... Oh, okay. Mm. So you've uh, found her? I have. I stalked her.
3: What sort of comment did she leave to win the game, for example?
4: Her comment was, um, free stuff is the best stuff. Seriously, I think I appreciate anything I get for free... That bit more than my other possessions, ha ha.
3: She summed it up there well. <laughs> yeah, that's and that that's the sort of comment. That's the class of comment that you need.
4: That's a classy comment.
3: Well, it, it's just the class of comment. I'm not saying it's a classy comment. Oh, it's okay. just the level. That's the bar that you're working at. Minus if you state. can, if you can uh, bring it up to Hannah's level, uh, you too can win a game. No for, class at all for bugger all effort. Pretty much. <laughs> no, I'm not saying you, Hannah didn't put any effort. She might have thought long and hard about that. Either way free game i'm not dwelling on this
4: there was a lot of characters for uh you know for a comment yeah, but good. we
3: don't mind well done hannah no no we love the banter we love the talk <laughs> all right so please comment on any of our facebook posts uh, get involved in the discussion we love your opinions they make our show better and uh if we read your comment aloud we'll send you a classic hyper magic nerd badge uh, to adorn your gamer gear and uh, just looking over what we've got this month we uh Oh, we picked out um, Matthew White. uh, Commented on the actually the the comments for uh, for the monstrous competition, and he said, uh, "I hope to win this." But then he said, uh, "This sounds like the perfect game to start my four year old son down the path of the gaming world." And uh, that was something we touched on with Todd as well, with um, different generations like like yeah, like you know the the baby boomers. Forget about them. They're rubbish. <laughs> uh, but they, they spawned many of us. And then we've got our... Well, they we did, didn't they? You Spawn,
4: know? yeah. I can just see. I imagine that uh, that magic card. What is it? The spawning pool? I, mean, I didn't, is that uh, a magic oh, card? I don't,
3: I don't want to think about it because I guess I'm involved with... <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, but, you know, they've done their bit. They made us. And then we, that generation's gone on. We've had kids. And then they're having kids even now, yeah. you know. And they're, you know, walking into game stores. What am I going to play? That sort of stuff. Matt White's in a similar sort of position. You know, he's got his uh, four-year-old son there. You know, what am I going
4: to play? Monstrous. I'm going to throw some cards at the table. Hopefully, we're helping them inform their decisions. That's a service that we're providing, free of charge. Sounds like a plan. Congratulations, Matthew White.
3: You're talking us up a bit too much, Matt. It's not (laughs) (laughs) public. Yeah.
4: It's not
3: not like we're going to get a Nobel Prize for this. It's like a Nobel Prize for altruistic gaming activities seven land hand we might get a Nobel prize what did i say nobel nobel it's a nobel prize
1: no but we'll get a Nobel prize uh, a
3: nobel prize yeah. I'm not, or a ignoble prize I'm,
1: I'm happy with any prize that they want to give me
3: anyway <laughs> matthew white of uh I, is he is in, in your neck of the woods is he jamie he is oh right, we'll give that man a seven land hand uh Hyper magic nerd badge
1: will do i've got a couple over here
3: yeah he's worked he's worked long and hard for that um any anything else if you've got anything to plug, if you want to talk about anything, you've got a Kickstarter kicking off or a game design or anything like that, uh, get in touch with us at podcast at sevenlandhand.com. And if you or if you want to pick on us in particular. If you want to pick on us. Or don't pick on us, be kind. You've got any of our names at sevenlandhand.com. So Matt at sevenlandhand.com.
4: Or David at sevenlandhand.com or Jamie at sevenlandhand.com. You'll find us. We'll be there. We'll answer. The um, emails are all linked, so you know if, w- you're bound to hit one of us.
3: Yeah, I won't, but I don't read your stuff.
4: Uh, well, I I
3: read yours. Do you? <laughs> well, man, I better. <laughs> I better make that different then. I get, I've been I, reading
1: both of yours and responding.
3: I get a lot of knob picks. I shouldn't say that. It's late in the night, anyway. <clears throat> all right, next fortnight. Um, well, I think we're doing community building, aren't we? We're going to try yes. and get in touch with. Uh, Harlan from
4: yep from the Invictus Stream,
3: yeah, and uh, we've Riley, got Riley, our
4: friend uh, from across the pond.
3: Yeah, and maybe another f- few special guests. We'll just do our a ring around. We've got a few people that we've been talking to, uh, and that's just all about gaming in the world that we're living in, yep. uh, making a bit of community connections. building. Yeah. yeah, how people are community building out there. So and next uh, month, next, month what, next play, month, what are we going to play next month, Jamie? Cthulhu Realms, Cthulhu by Realms. Castle. So who was it by?
1: Darwin Castle.
3: Darwin Castle. So that makes Realms sound a lot more
4: like... Star Realms.
3: Yeah, which Isn't we're all it? familiar with, which you yeah. talked about. So oh, that'd that's be really exciting. cool. Yeah. So Cthulhu Realms, uh, we'll have a look at that game next month. And um, yeah, onwards and upwards. Yeah. Have a bit of fun. Cool. Yeah. Matt and I will probably play a bit of XCOM next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? Oh, shout out to Rob, who came down and, um, and played it with us as well. Yeah, what's his uh
4: what's his page
3: what's his page oh oh that's going to take it's yeah. something like we'll
4: have to find that for you because it's quite a funny one
3: bonsai lemon yeah. something or other <laughs> if you've got something to talk about i can find it
4: yeah um well why don't uh we wrap why don't we with throw a link up
3: well yeah it's funny you should say why don't we throw a link up because uh rob's usual page is all about oh yeah there it is lemon party bonsai <laughs> Have a look at that. Have a look at that on um, your Facebook. Uh, one of those guys is uh, Roberto Hoffman. That's Rob who's coming and playing a few games with us. he will be able to see Rob eating all sorts of disgusting stuff and making himself really sick. Uh, he have <laughs> the Cinnamon Challenge where he did it himself, Bobby Hoff, and uh, <laughs> yeah, ridiculous stuff. But yeah, go have a watch of that. But it feels late, doesn't it, guys? It
4: does. Any, anything else?
3: No, I can't. I think, my I, think voice we're is, good. I think my voice is about to give out. All right, all right let's get a bit of uh, electric guitar action out and uh, do a bit of a
4: sign-off. All right. Uh, well, first of all, I'd like to thank Todd Rollins from AEG uh, yeah, thanks, for uh, speaking Todd. to us today. That was and, one of,
3: Honestly, that was one of the nicest chats we've had. I mean, yeah. everyone else we've talked to, absolutely brilliant. But, yep. I mean, Todd, what a Same guy. Same
4: caliber, Jay... Um, we appreciate all these people who are taking time out of their busy schedules to come and uh, to speak to us, and the I guess the gaming community in general appreciates it. We I know we do.
1: Um, it's been so cool just getting to talk to these guys who are writing and making games that I love. You know, yeah,
3: yeah.
4: yeah. You've definitely been fan fanboying out there, uh, Jamie. I know. And he, gets,
3: he gets all gushy near the end, doesn't he? It's, <laughs> it's embarrassing a little bit. I don't
4: want
1: it to end.
4: <laughs> Speaking of ending, Jamie, uh, thank you very much for taking your time out to, to join us on our little podcast. Because, uh, oh, anytime. Thank I know, you over in me. the eastern states there, you're a couple of hours ahead uh, in the future and it's not, uh, it's not always an easy thing staying up this late at night. And uh, mm,
1: Here in the world of the future, we have flying cars and... The that's ability it. to stay up late all night.
3: <laughs> no one gives a crap about that. They're listening to us in the car on the way to work. You know, it's like I'm, I'm just happy that none of us live in New Zealand because that's about the only way we could uh, get more into the future.
4: Well, yeah, that, that'd be something to deal with. And uh, as much
3: as I'd like to live in New Zealand, oh, it's I, a lovely place.
4: Yeah, yeah. but uh, David. Thank you very much. You, you do a great job looking after the uh, the technical side of things, as always. I just winging it, Matt. I'm just you winging are, it, and I, th- I saw you hitting those wrong buttons numerous times. We're lucky we haven't exploded yet.
3: Yeah, well, only a few of those segments we had to do twice.
4: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and, Thanks for coming and in, Matt. Nothing blew up tonight, guys. <laughs> no. Well, <laughs> oh, got, you're welcome.
3: We've got a few small fires. I've seen a lizard and a, and a mouse in our. Uh, Little pod area here tonight.
4: I'm pretty sure I heard a drop bear drop onto the ceiling. Onto I'm the serious roof. about
3: the mouse and the lizard, by oh, the way. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. not
4: looking in that direction, sorry. yeah. Uh, <laughs> lucky I haven't got a phobia of those sort of things, but I am looking to look after my shoulder, over my shoulder. And um, also, like to thank King Goblin for providing us uh, something fine to drink. Yeah, the pod beer.
1: Well, rather yeah, actually, also I guess I should thank Doctor Jungle Juice. <laughs>
4: Well, I shouldn't say for providing, yeah. because, uh, David, you provided it. Yeah, but what about the,
3: uh, this is the also the uh, the pod snack, is the Wagyu Beef and Wasabi Cream Special Reserve Red Rock Deli Chips. The official pod snack. That, they sort of have, <laughs> though, haven't they? We're getting them every week.
4: Yeah. yeah. All, right. All right, I think that's enough from us.
3: Riley, get ready. We're going to call you in a
4: fortnight.
2: <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. Take it easy.